movie movie my name is dan scully my name is garrett smith and tonight as promised in our last episode we will be talking about the 2000 stephen freer's adaptation of nick hornsby's novel high fidelity hell yes and uh, so per the winning uh mike uh mike doherty, mike doherty. Uh, for choosing the, yes. the number one uh best entry in our uh musicians in movies that's and right so he was referencing the cameo from the boss, the boss. himself spruce springsteen of the <laughs> east street players you call him spruce springsteen spruce springsteen in the east street players <laughs> we all love that band they are wonderful they have that awesome song uh, born to sprint it is fantastic you know dancing what? in the light and, you know thunder road. <laughs> and thunder road and this lovely voice that you hear chiming in now is our special guest for the evening a uh, actress and uh, what, what should I call you? Woman about town, <laughs> um, <laughs> cultural commentator, <laughs> and uh, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful one of the best parts of my life, <laughs> Jenna Kersey. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, Jenna. Uh, wait, this is a fun brag that I get to have for the rest of my life, only because my dad has it and uses it as a brag, and it's not a brag at all. Uh, hey, uh, my dad went to high school with the keyboard player from the E Street Band. Oh, hey. right on. that's a thing he loves to tell people. I don't even think he really knows that guy's name. He just knows he went to high school with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my uncle knew Bruce Springsteen Whoa, because see? he grew out in As- grew up in Asbury Park. My uncle, that's a better uh, one. My yeah. uncle Michael. Shout out to to Uncle Michael. He's <laughs> a uh, he's a musician slash reformed hippie who uh, also played in Asbury Park, and he claims to have played with Bruce Springsteen at the Stone Pony. At the Stone Pony. Yeah. We don't know how true that is. He probably sat in with a session for him, but he said about Bruce Springsteen, he was the guy that we all went. Fuck, he, he's the one who will make it. <laughs> and so and I, I guess that he's right. my dad does a killer rendition of Thunder Road. <laughs> I've so. done seen it. I think what we just discovered is all people from New Jersey have a story yes. about how they're connected to yes. the boss somehow. And John Travolta. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's my John Travolta, guys. That's good. So, yeah, High Fidelity is Woo. the movie that we're talking about. And in honor of High Fidelity... Um, Perhaps you know one of the the progenitors of the modern pop culture top five list. Oh yeah, that's something that we nerds love to do, and we've often done on the show. And so, as a result, we will be doing our top five movie scores and/or soundtracks. Yes, sir. With the follow-up question of where do uh-huh. we le- where do we land on what's preferred, a soundtrack or a score? Yes. So we'll be getting into that tonight, and, and I that- invite everybody who's listening to submit to us your lists. We would love to hear them. You can find us mm. uh, on Facebook slash I like to movie. That's the number two. Same thing on Twitter at I like to movie or send us an email. I like to movie at gmail.com and we'll be reading some of our favorite entries on the air. So Hell please yes. reach out to us. We want to hear about your uh, your favorite. Uh, I, I, and I think that, well, we'll get to that when we get to the list. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of soundtracks and scores and follow-up questions in honor of Barry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Barry Jive. Barry Jive and the Uptown Five. I want to call it the Electric Five. The Electric Five well, works too. Uptown see, Five then you're is better. on the toes of the Electric Six. I know, who are just incredible. And Uptown Five is better. Mm-hmm. I just can't. For some reason, my head goes to Electric Five. This is worthless. I don't I know mean, what I'm talking about. They're not even there anymore. Now they're Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so and they only do Marvin Gaye covers. Yes. So oh yes. Don't Ooh. ask for anything else. Can we can we just throw this out there before we get started, please? What is what is your music? 
Well, like what's sorry? like what? I, I'm I'm a white stripes guy. Oh, but I always have said that, uh, and this is actually a recent development. I went through Marvin Gaye's discography, and I would say that what's going on is hands down the uh, best album I've ever heard amazing. in my life. Yeah. Does anyone else want to toss anything into that? I'm a that big pile. I like minus the bear. They're like oh. my, they're like my big go to. I love minus the bear. Uh, but I'm also a huge uh, hip hop nerd. I really, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I really like rap. Yeah, I pretty much I'm listening to minus the bear play guitars, or I'm listening to rap. That's yes. pretty much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like like rhymed over minus the bear. I feel like that's kind of a marriage made in heaven that I've I ever know, heard. I know. Girl Talk used to do like mashups yeah, of. I yeah. don't think they ever made one of his mashups. They they do have like some remix albums that they've put out that like they've hired DJs to do like remixes of their songs. Right. They're pretty cool. Uh, but I don't think they've ever had a rapper over one of their tracks. I feel like there's a group called I think they're just called like the Internet that mm. do like these compilations every year where they just like mash stuff up. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think I've heard minus the bear on one of those maybe. But they are like perfect for that. Their music would be mm. um, uh, so easily remixed into so I uh, love hip-hop. Minus the Bear but like their their acoustic album yeah. I couldn't get into really well the thing is like it, it highlights how good they are at songwriting yeah but and also how bad the, he is at singing <laughs> exactly the thing is though he's a, I wouldn't say he's a bad singer because right. it works yes. with with the, you know the albums that I know with uh-huh. all the beeps and boops and <laughs> but minus the beeps and <laughs> all right we're getting we're getting dirty here minus the the beeps and boops it does uh, I don't know it doesn't quite work for me but yeah. I will say I've seen minus the bear live a few times me too and they're fucking phenomenal they're awesome live phenomenal I, their guitar player is just like such a joy to watch to oh, me yeah. I fucking love that guy their, their laptop player is oh, incredible yeah. <laughs> there's a guy who plays laptop on stage. <laughs> yeah well my favorite thing about whether I don't know why we're good into this diatribe but I'll take it because no, I love no. talking about that my favorite thing is the guitar player does this thing in one of their songs where he's got a shitload of looping stations and he records like a bunch of just like one second loops as mm. he's playing the song and then the solo at the end of the song is he just gets down on his hands and knees and starts punching his <laughs> looping players nice. and making like a guitar solo out that's of these little good. loops he's been recording that's cool. It's cool as shit that's really cool where, right. where do you stand on this what what kind of music do we uh ween is my band oh yeah ween, <laughs> ween. <laughs> Because if you ever wanted to listen to every single style of music ever, <laughs> you just listen to a Ween song. <laughs> oh, I love that. You listen to a Ween song. Just one. You can even go, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and that. you get every single <laughs> genre of music. What I like about Ween is that they are insanely talented musicians. And, and they, they use, use it their for powers evil. For- <laughs> <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. That is so true. Because they, like, there's a... There's songs that are straight up like almost club like. Yeah. Then there's other songs where it's like, oh, this is just a drunken goof. <laughs> but if you eliminate any of the the framing device out of it, there's tremendous, oh, yeah. tremendous And then you get something like Bumblebee, which is just yep. them like screaming for 45 minutes. And or you insane. fucked up. You fucked up. If you they bitch. play you fucked up. Yeah, on... it's so good. We're going to see Ween on Sunday. <laughs> oh, are you? And actually, I just recently found out. Shout out to our boy uh, Swatkins. Oh yeah. He's he's gonna be there, and I'm very excited that Ooh. I'm going to get to share some Ween moments. Local Philadelphia with Jenna and with Swati, Michael S. Watkins. Mm-hmm. He's the best. Uh, all right, let's jump into Stephen Frears. Let's yeah. let's hit a high fidelity. Absolutely. I actually wrote a wrote another intro hit if you guys care it. to hear it. Oh, I do. Uh, to kick us off. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she heard it earlier, so it's uh, this is boring to her. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable, or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? It's a question, don't you gag at me. <laughs> it's a question posed by Rob Gordon, the protagonist of Stephen Freer's High Fidelity, an adaptation of Nick Hornsby's popular novel. Rob and his gang of music snobs sp- spend their days listening to vinyl, thumbing their noses at pop culture <laughs> plebes, and creating top five lists in which they rank their favorites in a litany of musical 
subheaders. Nerds like us love to make lists, partially because it's an easily digestible way to present useless knowledge, <laughs> but mostly because it's a simple device through which to find a common thread between the things we love, a way to crystallize just what it is that elicits our love, all while conveniently providing a respectable way to uncover unseen truths without engaging them head on. It's only fitting that the film itself is presented in the form of a list. Rob Gordon's top five most memorable breakups. Rob is applying this list technique to his romantic history, seeking an answer as to what went wrong. What is the one constant in a sea of variables that leads to his unhappiness? Is it him? And if so, is he deserving of the love he so shamelessly seeks? The question posed up top is a chicken-egg situation. Do the narratives put forth by our popular culture shape the way we behave, or do we just gravitate to pop culture that speaks to our experiential truth? High Fidelity is a film that has always spoken to me because I can relate to Rob Gordon more so than many film characters. So I ask this question to you. Do we enjoy High Fidelity because it's informed by our romantic experience? Or has our romantic experience been informed by High Fidelity? Fucking love that. Because uh, that is fucking... We talked about that as we were watching the movie. There's that scene in the movie where he says... Uh, he says, uh, we've, me and Barry have always agreed that it's, it's what you like. It's not what you're like. Mm -hmm. It's the films, books, music. These things are important. Yeah. And I feel like, well, A, there was definitely a point in my childhood where that was everyone's away message on AOL Instant Messenger for like Damn. years. You know what I mean? Right uh, around the time this movie came exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but your uh, favorite movie is only as good as your profile quotes. So. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh, so I think that, I, and unfortunately, like I still hear it quoted from time to time by people about my age, a little younger. I think that this movie has somehow ruined some of our generation <laughs> because they took like the wrong things away from it. It is much it, like Rob. Yes. It, well, for, it, for a large part of the for a large of the portion of the movie, and and what is so amazing about the movie is that is also relatable to me. Taking the wrong lessons from things—that's mm -hmm. what Rob goes through. Our generation has taken the wrong lessons from this movie, or at least at some point we did. Maybe we're hopefully we're evolving past that. I don't know, uh, but that, I think that that's like what's so amazing about it. It's, it's like we we literally have we. It is so uh, uh, relevant to I think the modern dating experience, at least for a man. I'm very curious, Jenna, to talk to you about it. Uh, at least for a man, it's so relevant to the, like the modern dating experience that it feels very very reflective of how I feel often mm -hmm. and how I have acted. Uh, and unfortunately, that also leads straight down to that, uh, that, you know, also being like a total indecisive nut job. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I think it also points to, and it, it especially is evidenced by, I've seen this movie probably 20 times in yeah. my life. The first time I saw it was in 2000. I was 16. Yep. I'm watching it now at 32. Mm -hmm. Literally double that age. Yeah. It's different every time. Yes. And I think it's because each time I'm coming at it with a different group of experiences where I look back and go, this is where I fucked up. This is where my nature as a man has, has skewed me wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is where I've grown from that. And also, this is where I, I still got some work to do. You know, And it's, it's, it speaks to that. I can't wait to watch it when I'm 40. I know. I've had like a really weird... I mean, I can wait. I don't, I, you have to be 40 <laughs> to do that. I'm not looking forward to that portion. But to watch it, yeah. Yeah. I, like, I've had a weird growth experience with it where it's like, for a little while, it was like, ah, I'm Rob. This movie's great. I'm Rob. I'm the hero of this movie. I love it. I'm Rob. Uh, and then it was like, oh, I don't want to be Rob. Mm -mm. There was like a while where I was like, mm, I don't want to be Rob. He's that, mm -mm, nope. And now I've kind of come back around to not I'm Rob, but I actually would like to be Rob because at least Rob fucking does figure this shit out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like I, I feel like that's where I'm at right now is like the figuring that shit to, out there's part. There's a Rob in all of us. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any pop culture enthused 
uh, male my age, plus or minus seven to ten years, mm-hmm. there's gonna be a Robin. Oh yeah. And I I I, off, I would love to. I I don't think my dad's the type of person who would be open to watching this type of movie. It wouldn't interest him. Yeah. But if he was the type to engage this kind of thing, I would wonder how that reflects upon him. Oh yeah, that'd be interesting. You know, to uh, get uh, like the uh, I don't know the generation behind us, like mm-hmm. their their perspective on this, like how much they might have dealt. Because I, I do think that generation, you know, j- just the idea that Rob has had even five girlfriends that he could make a list out of might be like totally outside of that generation's experience to some mm-hmm. extent. You know what I mean? Yeah, they have a top three. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and they met my them all before they were... with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> they met my them... wife. Yeah. That's my wife. <laughs> they met them all before they were 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would be fascinating to get like a, a different generation. Actually, it would be fascinating to even like watch this with like my roommate who's twenty one and be mm-hmm. like, "Do you see yourself in any of this or not?" You know, uh, I would be curious how like people of different ages respond to this because it does feel very specific to my experience. But I don't know if that's because it's so relatable, or yeah. if it's because it's specifically relatable to like people our age, you know, men mm-hmm. our age. Well, I'll ask you this question, Jenna. Uh. As as a female watching the movie. Do you identify in, with Rob in any way? And do you identify with the female characters in any way? And what's the disconnect there? Right. Uh, so we actually talked about this earlier. <laughs> and I had said it, this, because I've read the book and I've seen the musical and I've seen the movie twice now. And every single time I watch it, I'm like, oh, this is like reading a Bukowski novel as a lady because I'm like, oh, this is really alienating as a girl because I, some of the shit that he says, I'm just like, oh my God, <laughs> fucking asshole. But then as an asshole, <laughs> I go, this is all very, very, very real. I bet Rob loves Bukowski. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I mean, the female characters in it aren't meant to be well-developed. Like that's not their purpose. Right. I think Lara is the only one that you actually see two sides of her world. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. that is not any deep and meaningful way because we're, it, it's, it's Rob's Well, she's story. the only one that we get to see outside of Rob's lens. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. She does emerge from his lens at other points where the rest of them are strictly through his frame. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Like Charlie sucks. And of course she sucks because she's a big fat phony. And like <laughs> all, phony. Of, <laughs> all of the other ones suck too because they hurt him in some way. Even the one that, uh, I forget her name, but his first girlfriend. Uh-huh. Um, or, no, Allison no, no. Ashmore? Yes, Allison, the one that, that he turns, he, she won't let him touch her boob. Yes. Oh, no, so that wasn't like, Allison Ashmore. No, That's, not Allison. I don't remember the. I don't remember her names. name, but exactly, right? Like, yeah. we don't remember yeah. her name. And yeah. she was the one that was actually hurt the most by him. Mm-hmm. And we never get her story except that, like, he just kind of blows her off his dinner. And she's like, yeah, you know, I didn't want to have sex with you when I was 16. Because yeah. you don't have sex when you're 16. Yeah, you have yeah. sex when you're in college, when you're ready to have sex. Mm-hmm. And you tried to have sex with me. Right. And then you got all pissed off because somebody else like essentially raped me. And I said, okay, but that's still not yes. Mm. <laughs> and <laughs> Oh, I like you, that, actually. The, the movie does like, make that uh, defining that dis- sort of. Yeah. Because yeah. she said, it wasn't rape because I said, okay. But it was but close. But it was close. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, I, yeah, that's from a And then she still pers- harbors you know? that like animosity towards him. Where she's like, no, I like you... I didn't let you have sex with me because that's not what you do. <laughs> yeah. I was a child. And yeah. You yeah. were a child and yeah. you're still a child and I'm going to leave. And what's funny too <laughs> is that by, by rejecting her, 
he almost implanted the idea of no, that is what you do, right? Which mm-hmm. resulted in her making a poor decision. Yeah, yeah. you know that that has like haunted it was all her, her fault yeah. again. So the entire movie isn't meant to be viewed from any feminist lens. Like that's not a thing. No, it's yeah, it's meant to be the male experience mm-hmm. and the male gaze, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's totally valid, and it's not a bad thing. I actually well, because I think what's interesting about the movie is I don't think. I don't know. It's odd. It's like uh, you, there's no. Um, you're right. There's no like the the women are not given much of a voice in the movie, no. generally speaking. But I also don't necessarily think that the movie is like um, you know misogynistic or sexist necessarily. No. Like Rob seems to have good relationships with women. Generally seems to have like a good perspective on. Women. He's just an idiot. He's, he's like he's, he's a moron. He's like a man baby. Right. And that's but like. That's okay. Well, he's coddled right. by his pop culture. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. But so, it, like, if you listen to enough Smiths albums, you're not going to know uh, how to uh, talk uh, to uh, a girl. Uh, right. And that's just the truth. <laughs> I feel like if you listen to enough Smiths albums, I don't know why I feel well, this, but I feel novel, like I you will learn how to iron a shirt them. properly. I don't know why, that's <laughs> yeah. why I feel that way. I feel like Morrissey is a guy who can iron rain. a shirt. Yeah. 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 Well, that's John Cusack and Morrissey have the lockdown on crying in the yeah. rain. You know. There is an interesting distinction in the movie made, though, that I think is like pretty cool. Where, uh, uh, what is she saying to Rob? She, oh, Rob says to what? I'm sorry. So, what is the, I don't know why this is horrible. Laura is the lead. Laura, yes. That is totally a problem with this movie. The women are so underwritten, like, I don't even know their names. Laura. Uh, uh, so Laura, uh, I don't, I don't. I feel like underwritten is a strong term. Yeah. Because they serve the function that the yes. movie needs. But I would say that that because it's through his lens, we don't get depth out of them. Yeah. And no. we're not supposed to. Yeah. The only point I'm trying to make is I can't remember their name because it yeah, spends yeah, yeah, no time yeah. with them. Laura's the only one I just mean not at the expense think... of the quality of the movie. No, not yeah. at all. Written, but just, yeah, we, we don't know their names. Yeah. Short. Without the device of the list, it would be impossible to remember. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, who Sarah is like the random one in the middle who. Yeah. yeah. I'm literally logging on to IMDb right now just so we can yeah. get a better job yeah. of names. But uh, so Laura says to he says to Laura at one point, he says, I didn't hit you. I never yelled at you. Like, what did you want from me? There is an interesting distinction the movie makes where one of the things he has to learn is like, that's not an, like just being a good guy doesn't actually make you a good guy. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> being a quote unquote good guy. I did everything guy, right. I right. did the list. Yeah. Like I did the checklist. <laughs> I did what my songs told fine. me to do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's like that, no, that in and of itself is not, that doesn't just make you a good guy by right. being a quote unquote good guy. Right. Uh, and I like that the movie like addresses that. And it, that is one of the things that's so interesting about the movie is you spend most of the movie on board with Rob because he's like your hero or whatever. But basically and he's talking directly to you d- directly. You become a character in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's part of how it works, which is like kind of brilliant. But it you, you are on board with him the whole time, but you almost don't, or I didn't realize the first few times I watch it. Maybe this is just more perspective as I get older, but it's like, you just spend like a long portion of the movie watching him not learn anything, right. yeah. which is really, really like kind of now for me, fun and funny to watch in its own interesting way. When I way. first saw it and I was 16, yeah. my mentality was, poor guy. Yeah, I know, exactly. Which is crazy because now I I don't feel that even no, a little bit. I don't feel sorry for him. I mean, the only way I pity him is just like, poor guy really needs to, yes. to assess himself. Yeah. And he's trying to assess all of these women in his life. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't wrongs done to him, but... It's hard to judge when everything is through the lens of him just being like, "Man, I got fucked." It's right. Like, well, he's literally making even in the moment where he admits that he cheated on her. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. He's like, "Well, I'm, uh, well, she, uh, but she's sleeping with somebody else now, so so it's okay." And yeah. you're like, "No." Or even when she's when she's maybe gonna sleep with someone else, he goes and actually sleeps with someone else yeah. and treats it as like I was just a thing. But he's still obsessed as if her with having her just a thing, thing. Yeah. is more than a thing when it's not. Yeah. Right. Although. 
Tim Robbins is, is totally disgusting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's like that's what we were talking about. Is like that is as as quote unquote disgusting as that is, and how it's like, man, that fucking sucks that you don't have enough perspective to see all of that. Super fucking relatable for me as a like I have definitely felt those feelings and mm-hmm. like you know been the guy that's like yeah I'm going doing my own thing but don't do your own thing you know it's like yeah. I it, it, that is like I don't know if that's in men or if that's more a generational thing where it's like I'd a generation of men was bred that way both. you know in in terms of relationships I'd say that it is very much a man thing I mean I'm not going to be able to speak on the woman experience right. but in terms of just broadening it and pulling the lens back it's a human thing. You often don't know you're wrong until you've had the experience. Yeah. The world can tell you you're wrong. They can beat it into your face and beat it into your head that you are wrong. But until you come to the decision based on your own experiences and actions, it's hard. Yeah. And I think that's something that even in this movie, which is, I would say, predominantly geared towards towards angsty men. Yes, yeah. I would say that the... Clearly, it takes place in a record store. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's geared towards angsty men, and it has Bell and Sebastian, uh, you know... Hey. Uh, hey, no, I'm not knocking them, but I'm just saying when it comes to angst, they do a good job. Um, them them and Iron angst. and Wine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, there there is a human thing of... There's so many shitty things that I have known mm-hmm. that turned out to be wrong that I was told were wrong. And it wasn't until I came to that through experience yeah. that I was able to learn. And this movie is us watching a guy learn to do that yeah. to some extent, you know, and, and at the end still need work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think the day I die, I'll still need work. A hundred percent. You know, that's that's a very human thing mm-hmm. in the shorter lens. I'd say it's a man thing in the relationships. Right. I mean, I I. As a 16-year-old watching this going, poor guy, my mentality was, he is owed right. what it is he seeks. <laughs> yes, and yeah. as an adult, Gross. I realize, <laughs> no, nobody is owed that. Yeah. And nobody nobody owes anyone that. Right. You know, it's it's an earned thing. You got to understand, we grew up with 80s comedies where men were just owed sex. That's how it works. Right. No, no, we grew up with 80s comedies where rape was silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, it's a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our generation, I feel like, got a real weird... Kind of perspective or on right on the edge of sex and of relationships, changing yeah. roles and all that yeah. stuff. Well, it's the changing of the roles mixed with the mass media and distribution of these narratives. Mm-hmm. Right. For someone at Rob's age in two thousand, most of the because what do you think he's like our age? Romance, he's probably like thirty-two. Right. Like he's probably like yeah. our age. That's my age. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, he got these narratives from the pop music, yep. where. <laughs> you know, well, I like that you called it from the, <laughs> from pop, the, pop, the pop. You music. kids and your you wheelie kids. boards and your Dan Fogelberg tunes. And the pop music, yeah, but from the pop music that he consumes yeah. to to complete the sentence. Yeah, yeah. So I don't sound <laughs> so so old fogeyish. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, but uh, that narrative came came to him from that. Yeah. Meanwhile, like in my high school, the probably the a big narrative pusher in terms of how relationships were were deemed was like American Pie. Totally, a movie that we only now realized. There's a scene where they're gonna film a woman having sex against her will, uh. and the goof is that the guy looks silly during it. Yeah. No one even considers that, but no. this fueled our narrative. Yep. You know, and so he got it from pop music, we got it from pop culture movies, but mm-hmm. that expansion mixed with the connectivity of the internet and women getting a voice in, yeah. in entertainment and culture, it's always gonna be sliding in that direction. Oh, yeah. You know, and so we I would say I, I won't say we're the last because I don't think it, anything will ever be perfect, but we're of one of the final generations of people that could be ignorant to to pop culture's influence. Yeah, yeah, and and probably even one of the last generations just kind of be like, ah, man, I'm a man. Yeah, yeah. I got you owe it to me. 
And I'm going to prove it. Yeah, yeah. I own the with things. My, with yeah. my penis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I own the things. Don't you see this dick? Yeah. I own the things. <laughs> and I'm taller than you, so... Yeah. Uh, I'm bigger. Are good. I'm stronger. I'm now smart- look at my dick. <laughs> <laughs> A, I'm smarter than you. Two, I'm bigger than you. <laughs> and D. <laughs> This movie's like a, a storytelling anomaly, though. You know what I mean? Like, the way that this movie is told is kind of bizarre. It's like it does a lot of things that you're classically not supposed to do when you mm-hmm. make a movie. It's entirely narrated. I think that comes from the fact that it's a book. Of course. Yeah, As someone definitely. who has failed miserably at trying to write fiction, uh-huh. one of the hardest <laughs> things is uh, the outline. Mm-hmm. Is how do I frame this whole story, mm-hmm. and then how do I pace this whole story? As someone who tries to write fiction, I get into the moment, and then I realize it's a sloppy mess, and mm-hmm. all the writing's done in the editing. But here, it's almost as if, and I don't want to, I don't want to. I almost called him Irvine Welsh. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to. Uh, Nick Hornby. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to uh, insult Nick Hornby, yeah. but to write out a novel in the form of a top five list mm-hmm. is a very easy <laughs> way to get to get an outline without actually having an outline mm-hmm. and then transferring that to film. It, now I'm not saying that it was an easy job, but I think that's why this is so uncharacteristic. We talked about it with Die Hard. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest things for a movie to do is characterize everybody. Oh, and yeah. Die Hard succeeds with that almost, I mean like impossibly. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. because it came from a book where, you know, we had, you know, presumably 600 pages to flesh out everybody. So there's room for it. Yep. In a movie, we don't have that luxury. Here we it's lucky that the framing device of the book translates to film so well. But I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that Cusack is good at talking to us. Oh yeah. yeah. Totally. And He's it's told in vignettes too. Yes. Like yes. the book is mm-hmm. and the movie is. And so that's like super useful because then you're just making kind of like fifteen minute short mm-hmm. films mm-hmm. with the same character that's telling you what's about to happen before it happens, and that's like really useful. But also it's written like a play or you know Mm -hmm. sometimes characters will come out and be like so this is what's gonna happen and then it happens and you're like oh shit well it's (laughs) almost a cheat to get around like exposition it's a cheat to you said there's a musical I've not seen the musical you have yeah Regardless of the overall quality of the musical, yeah. in terms of the narrative connective tissue, does that format lend itself to the musical? Um, sort of, because what it is is like the John Cusack character, like Rob, is there as your <laughs> introduction to all of the songs. So like in the movie, you mm. know, he says, she's my number five with a bullet. And then mm-hmm. they're like, number five with the bullet. Oh, yeah. Here's my song. Well, that's the beauty of musicals is that all exposition can just be sung. And it's yeah. Fine. yeah. Yeah. And it's fine. And, but that actually lends itself better to that medium. Like musicals benefit from that. Oh, yes. yeah. Because if you tell somebody what you're about to sing about, they're so much more on board about mm-hmm. it because it's like, well, I mean, I feel really miserable. And then you yeah, sing yeah, a song yeah. about being miserable <laughs> yeah. and they're like, so there, mm-hmm. which it's a shame that it's just not better music, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is kind of weird that you'd think that high fidelity yeah. would, would well, really nail the music. The problem with the musical is that the guy who wrote it wrote rabbit hole. Um, David, oh, Lindsay yeah. There, oh, yeah. and he's like brilliant. So the Wait, book, that's the one that, John Cameron Mitchell made into a movie, right? Yes. Okay, that uh, was a Nicole good Kidman movie. with Miles Teller. No, no, no it's um, I'm thinking of Aaron Eckhart. What am I thinking of? I'm not sure, but Aaron Eckhart. Um, yeah, and um, what's her name? Nicole Sandra O. Oh. Mm. There's actually a really awesome scene where they get high at a child yeah. death uh, support really group, good. and it's difficult to do that. I mean, Cameron Mitchell's good at that shit. Yeah. Have you ever seen Short Bus? Good shit. I still have <laughs> to see that, but yeah, it's it's David Lindsay Bear and um, Tom Kitt. 
and a woman that I can't remember her name. That's really telling, isn't it? That we're talking about girls and I can't remember yeah. their names. But um, she wrote the lyrics, and the lyrics are really snappy and really fun mm-hmm. and stupid. But all of the music is based on like different musical artists, which mm-hmm. is cool and ties itself that into like yeah. the record store mm-hmm. feel. So there's I guess this it'd be one... difficult to get the rights to the actual songs. Yeah, but you can you do know? like inspired. Like Bruce Springsteen does make an appearance, and yeah. it's really mm-hmm. lovely, and that's mm-hmm. like the best part of the entire fucking musical. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's like this really amazing Beastie Boys sequence I was telling Dan that's about cool. earlier, where when they fight Ian, well, there's no yes, such that's thing exactly what as it is, a sequence with like, Beastie boys that isn't amazing just uh-huh. <laughs> true they're like uh you know so are we cool and he's like uh yeah fuck you <laughs> and they start singing all this beast boy shit it goes on for much longer than in the movie yeah but for completest sake amanda green was the lyricist amanda green amanda there green. we go great credit where credit's due she's awesome <laughs> yeah but and it's just like really fun in that way but yeah. it just doesn't work cohesively mm-hmm. because you don't care the problem with musicals is that you gloss over the shitty parts of characters to yeah. make them more palatable for like broadway audiences mm-hmm. and in that way rob who's a shitty i was shitty, gonna say the whole thing is you shitty yeah. yeah and like barry who's like really shitty yeah. and they like, become like lovable they become really lovable yeah. schmucks yeah. and in that way you don't give a fuck <laughs> yeah well there's no uh there's there's nothing to be learned at the no, end exactly if, uh, yeah if they're not exactly. shitty uh well and i would also think that like again it's like the thing that is narratively strange about this movie but works so well is that rob is narrating it right to our faces the whole time which yep. is a thing you don't do in movies because that is considered a shortcut like yep. don't fucking tell us how the characters feel show <laughs> us it's a movie <laughs> but it really works adaptation. in this because cusack is so i mean you can literally see him thinking Mm-hmm. on screen it's mm-hmm. like it's really amazing but so i would think translating it to a musical actually where you'd put the songs is in the narrative parts yeah. where rob is talking to you but that's, but that's not how a musical should yeah. be so like you know what i mean it's like it, it would, doesn't actually make sense to try and translate yeah. it and that's what the problem is too is that it'll be like narration song yeah which like, is like that's more fuck? narration yeah, i guess it feels, <laughs> yeah. feels yeah. redundant exactly yeah. Yeah. Like the top five girls don't have to come out and sing a doo-wop song right now. Like that doesn't. Do make they any really sense. do a doo-wop? That sounds great. Of course. Uh, <laughs> I'm all in on this musical. <laughs> that's funny. You can find it on YouTube, a bootleg version. It's really bad. There's a giant phallic like sculpture in the middle of the stage. Yeah. How appropriate. Yeah. So yeah. I think that works. Exactly. Yeah. But the that, set's cool. Yeah, because they were like, listen, we can't make Rob a dick since it's for Broadway, so we'll just put a big dick on stage yeah. to represent how much of a dick he is. We'll have him climb it and brilliant, stand on top brilliant, of it. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> and cats don't dance. <laughs> and they throw money at the screen. I think one of the cool things about you know Rob uh, basically telling us what's going on yes. is it represents, uh, later in the film, Laura says to him, you know, you're a critic. You're an appreciator of all these things. Now you're finally creating something. Putting something and back so in. so that framing device lends to his character as a critic. Mm-hmm. He is critiquing his experience to us. He's refusing to engage with it, like I said about the list. That's true. He's not engaging <laughs> with it. He's saying, I've observed it, and, and this is what I think. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we're all critics. As, as, you mm-hmm. know, it's what we're doing here on the podcast, essentially. That's one of the toughest things about being a critic is, do I write in my notebook or do I, do I engage right. the movie? And watching him do that is a distillation of he's he's observing his life. He's saying, how does my life play as a song? Mm-hmm. How does my life work as a movie as, a, as opposed to just saying, how do I live my life as a human? Yeah. And so where it could be expository, it ends up actually being functional into his characterization. Whether that's on purpose or not, I don't know. But I think that is really what helps smooth it over. I, 
the movie works in like a big bad way and i and it's it is almost w- in spite of that narrative device mm-hmm. but i think that's all that's just like evidence of how great cusack is at this kind oh, of yeah. thing like he is ju- i don't i think you i can't think of another actor i could put in this that would make this work so easily mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it feels so the i mean the movie starts with the breakup the movie opens on him on her breaking up with him and leaving and so the stakes are set within the first literally 60 seconds of the movie. And then immediately he starts narrating to us. Mm-hmm. And he immediately jumps into the top five breakups of all time. Boom, our movie is set. Stakes are in place. Here's the sort of... And actually, oh, it, the way that they set that up, too, is that she leaves. He yep. says, top five biggest breakups ever. He rattles them off. Yep. And says, and she didn't make the list. And then he runs to the window <laughs> yeah. and says, if you really wanted to fuck me up, you would have gotten to me earlier. Yep. And we know he's lying. Yep. She knows he's lying. He knows he's lying, even though he's not really willing to admit it. Yeah. And then he sits down and starts to pull it apart and come <laughs> to realize that he's lying. Yeah. It's also, it's so... All within And then he bumps his top seconds. five without telling us the backstory. Yeah. Like yeah. he bumps the yep. fifth without ever telling us anything about her. She was only there as a, as a placeholder. Yep. yep. But that says something about him, too, yes. is that He's there a probably is person. a pretty valid story there in terms of just whatever turmoil came from mm-hmm. it. But to him, it was just your list entry. Yeah. And you got bumped. Yeah. Right. Sorry, Charlie. I also love... Sorry, <laughs> Sorry Charlie. Charlie. Uh, I, I love... Three. <laughs> <laughs> the movie has such like an interesting sense of humor, too. It's like things that I didn't... There's just so many things I didn't pick up on the first few times I saw it or whatever. Like, so again, we go through this breakup, and then he goes, top five breakups of my life. And he runs through them, and then he yells at her out the window, you should have got to me a long time ago. <laughs> Now, let's sit down and do this top five breakups. Number one, my first girlfriend when I was 11, who I was in love with for four hours. Oh, that made your top five? Not yep. the woman you were just living that with? That was like, number one. That's how, that was number oh, one. Oh, that is so funny but you to know, me. Though, that I will th- say this. Those young romances, because the stakes feel so improbably high because you're immature, yeah. those hurt. Yeah. Uh, and in hindsight, they hurt. And then as an adult, you realize like it was stupid, but it's it's hard-coded into you now yeah now of course he's he's wrong to be yeah, hurt i was gonna by say it. that is not my experience my very first girlfriend ever i don't really think about her a lot now or yeah. really ever but there was a time where it was like that broke me yeah yeah, yeah. couldn't give a shit now but yeah. I, I could see why that would resonate with them because you know when you're 18 things feel more sensitive you're soft you're doughy yeah now he's a little stunted so it hurts him more yeah. but <laughs> He, I just, I think you're it's funny that doughy. that's, <laughs> you know, you're doughy. You haven't been cooked yet. Yeah, you know? you haven't you. been baked by life. You get poked, it hurts. Yep. Yeah. I, I just think the good the joke there is that that's his first thought as he's trying to create a top five list that clearly should include her. Like that's the whole point of that joke yes. is clearly oh, yeah. it should include her. And the first thing he jumps to is the earliest memory he even has of having any kind of love. And it was only four hours. It's like hilarious that that would even it get included. It speaks to though the characterization of his selfishness. Yes. Because that was the first time that he felt yep. he got burned. Exactly. Right. It's like he didn't Betray get burned. There was just nothing Kevin going on. Yeah. Kevin Bannister. Yeah, Kevin Bannister. Yep. Who I got to say, I, I think Kevin Bannister ending up marrying that girl. He probably lost. That I might be <laughs> that might be the saddest story in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Or, it's just a throwaway. Yeah. The mom's like, they're married to her, her first boyfriend. Yeah. I'm the first. Like, oh, I'm the first. No. The thing is, though, that's either the saddest story that's in the movie terrible. or the happiest. <laughs> they could be so happy down in Australia where they where they live now. We don't we don't know. Australia. All we know is that the mom's happy with them, so that's, yeah. that's something. 
sort of. I love the way the mom. Yeah. like, uh-huh. I like the way the mom in that scene almost realizes what's happening yeah. with Rob yeah. on the other end because she's like, "Yeah, sure, whatever. You're her first. <laughs> she yeah, just, yeah, yeah. She like lets him have it. She's like, anyway, gotta go. Yeah. But that also shows something too. Like that woman was considerably older than oh, him. Yeah. She's got the experience. Yeah. She's done been here. She's like, I've heard She's this had phone an ex call. call her up yeah. and try to figure out his shit and just was like, all right, yeah. all right, bub. Yeah. Because you know, even Charlie, who we've all agreed is is the worst. Oh, she's horrible. The first thing that happens when he's like, listen, why'd you break up with me? She's like, I knew that's what was going yes. on. Yep. I knew it. Yep. And even though you know she's not really the best person, no. she's not an idiot. No, exactly. She's yeah. perfectly aware, like, I know what this is. I love that. We... And she, and she is playing it from the moment she opens the oh, door, yes. Jellybean. Jellybean. But it's, uh, you know, it's still, it's just one of those where he thinks he's doing this transcendent thing. Yeah. And it's like, sorry, buddy. You're every dude. I love that she <laughs> showed. Did it. Yeah, I love that she's shown to be like a vacuous human being that is well, like Captain that is Zeta like Jones <laughs> is a vacuous human being. But she's like that's why she's so great know, at though. this role. If she was shallow, she wouldn't be married to old dying man Michael Douglas. <laughs> Come on, uh, uh, he's the man. Yeah, I like Catherine Zeta Jones. Why? I do too. Because <laughs> she was incredible in Intolerable Cruelty, and that's a Coen Brothers movie. So back up. <laughs> I think she's, she's good also this. great in Chicago. No, which she's I know. not. <laughs> I know that's a, a bane of your terrible. existence. Terrible. Uh, she has the best line in Chicago. <laughs> Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And then some. <laughs> so that's good. pretty good. Uh, that might not be her. That could just be the text. It was I just writing. Yep. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. She sucks. <laughs> but I, uh, I <laughs> <laughs> your vitriol for that best picture winner is just it's incredible. So bad. <laughs> well, we can at least agree that Richard Gere is just Shut next level. Up. <laughs> Garbage. He's <laughs> uh, bad in everything. <laughs> Um, you never saw the jackal where he does a <laughs> thick Irish accent for the whole movie, and oh, it's horrifying. No. Also has Jack Black. Anywho. Anyway. Uh, I cannot even remember why I started talking about her. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> because she's that character. She's that girl. Yeah. Uh, no, that I don't. I have no. I have no memory. Girl. Well, I took a note. One of my favorite devices in the movie is that as Rob is going through this list, one of the cool things that they do, and kudos to the costume designer and to the direction, is each and every one represents not just an era of him failing at figuring out who he is, <laughs> yeah. but also the era <laughs> of music. Or whatever the music that the woman of the time was into, that's who he's dressed as. Yeah. He's dressed as Bob Dylan. Yep. He's dressed as Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. He's wearing whatever Kurt it is Cobain. they need. Kurt Cobain. Whatever <laughs> they need him to be, he's being, as opposed to what he needs to be. And so it's this awesome double device in that we learn that he's lost and doesn't know who he is. He has no definition we for himself. We also learn that he really tries to divine, define himself by what she likes yep. and by music. Yep. And we also just get a sense of timing. Yes. As to what was hot then. Yeah. You know, when he's dressed all clash like, we know exactly what time that is. <laughs> that and I love that because that is like so much taking advantage of like everything you can do with a movie. Yep. Because it's, it's like, movie movie. Yeah, they are like they're getting across like three different things at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like it's that is like I don't know. That's such smart movie making. And to that's me. something that I feel like. Kudos again to John Cusack. Yeah. He can. Each one of those looks is funny because we know that yeah. it's artifice. But it doesn't seem like a, it it doesn't seem like a goof. No, no, it no. It doesn't feel like a goof. It does feel believable. Oh yeah, he's that's... like really, really dedicated to that. It feels like Rob. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like a, you you feel that I don't know. He like really embodies that character in a way where they they did. It's almost this interesting thing of like the characters he had already played in movies feel a little bit like Rob. 
Mm-hmm. And then, like, he's able to just because he's such a good actor, then imbue just like the rest of what Rob needs into it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating how much it almost like is self reflexive. Well, it's almost perfect. Like reflexive. he plays uh, what's his name from? Oh yeah, from uh, say, say anything. anything. Lloyd Dobler. He plays Lloyd Dobler, yeah. grown up. Yeah. You know, in in and yes. I, I don't even really love say anything, but Lloyd Dobler is the guy who who plays Peter Gabriel outside of your window, <laughs> yeah. because mm-hmm. that's how he knows how to express himself. Yes. So, it, the the casting is just brilliant. Oh yeah, because. You know, other people could have done this, but the fact that we, as pop culture consumers, yes. recognize John Cusack's function in the romantic comedy yes. is that guy. That adds another level to why this movie works and why it's appealing yeah. on that level. There's like a weird thing of like uh, uh, the movie is almost asking the question like, hey, you know that guy that stars in all those romantic comedies that can always get the beautiful women? Yeah. What's really going on in that guy's life? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? What if he can't get the beautiful women yeah. and and probably shouldn't? Or, or like what <laughs> happens like what happens like a decade into him just being able to get every beautiful woman? Yeah. Like what is that guy like then? You know? Mm-hmm. How much does he regret that <laughs> life of just like like he says one foot out the door the whole time? Well, you know? even his characters, if you look at say anything, better yep. off dead, one crazy summer, it's the self-deprecating guy who doesn't even realize what he's got. Right. And in this one, he. He sort of plays self-deprecating, but not because he's like being coy. It's because he he kind of doesn't like himself, yeah. and so you know it it is a subversion of that. Yeah, 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 totally. I sorry, I just remembered my Catherine Zeta Jones thing, so Dive my brain I like lost it. that. No. No. That was the whole point. Get in, bring it out, bring it out. <laughs> she, I, what what I like about what she is doing though is like she's this total vacuous person that we're like, oh, she's like an idiot. But, like, he's such an idiot that by the time she's like, oh, this is what you're doing, it's like, yeah, and she's still smarter than you, you fucking idiot. You know what I mean? Like, he thinks she's an idiot. Even we as the audience are like, yeah, she's kind of an idiot. Even by the end, it's like, yeah, but you're still more of an idiot. Well, one thing I noticed in that scene that was brilliant directing is that he says, why did you leave me for whatever the guy's name was? I forget his name. Uh, Marco. And she goes, I knew it. I knew this was one of those stupid bullshit things that guys do. Where did it all go wrong? Cut to him leaving the apartment and telling us, yelling to the sky, (laughs) she, you know, she left me like freaking out about it. Then cut back into the the room to hear what she tells him to how she actually said it. So we see that, you know, we see that separation, that divide there, and it's a real quick blink if you miss it kind of thing. But that's, I mean, Stephen Frears is the real deal. he's gotten a little poppy lately. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dirty Pretty Things is excellent. If you ever seen, I haven't seen that. Oh, good shit. But uh, and the queen is actually pretty awesome. I mean, this is like as poppy as you can get. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it just feels more legitimate, uh, less less studioy. I, I don't oh, know if that okay, makes sense. It okay. just feels like less glossy. It's yes, like, yes, it's dirtier. It's, we'll, we'll it's like an it. earlier yeah. album from a band where they're less produced. <laughs> yeah, it's early Black Keys before they got. Can you they give your a, top five? This is Stephen Kinky Frears. Wizards. <laughs> I honestly have probably seen four <laughs> Stephen Frears movies, <laughs> and I could rank them from Florence <laughs> Foster Jenkins, which is fine. <laughs> To The Queen, which is very good. To oh, Dirty yeah, Pretty, pretty Things, good. which is excellent. To High Fidelity, which is a classic. Yeah. I, there's probably more that I that I have yeah. seen that I don't realize are him. Oh, wait. The Grifters. Fucking Grifters is great. That. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah? It's uh, Annette Benning and Ooh. John Cusack. Ooh. Good stuff. Love it. Number three. Um, I would put that. 
Uh, that's tough to rank with, with dirty, dirty, I'm pretty things. Subverting this list. Thing. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm turning it on. We love lists. Are you are you are you crossing entry number four out because it's not a legit entry, so you can yeah. put record store on it? Yep, yep. exactly. I'm actually gonna look him up to see what he did. <laughs> Discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> did, he didn't end up doing uh, the one with Jimmy Fallon about baseball. That's also in the Cornby adaptation. That Fever was, Pitch. If I remember correctly, Fever Pitch. I believe is, is the, the guys who did like the Three so. Stooges movie. Um, what are they oh. called? The Fairleys. I believe that's a Fairly movie. I think you're right. Maybe. Yeah, I'm pretty oh, sure he wrote that. About a Boy is a Hornby mm-hmm. movie. Philomena okay. was another oh. Stephen Fears movie, and that is oh, yeah, great. beautiful. That. Oh, it's like an adorable, like, take your Nana to see it and then like it better than she does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those. That's Stevie Coogan, right? Yeah, Stevie, Stevie Coogan and so Dame uh, but not Judy, Judy Dench. Dench. The cutest. I, oh, Mrs. Henderson. He's done a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, The Van? I don't know. <laughs> Dangerous Liaisons? I've never oh, yeah. seen that. Oh, I've never seen that either, but I'm familiar. I've seen that. Is it good? Yeah, I like it. Yeah? Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Crazy. Mm-hmm. 75 years old. That's wow. wild. So, well, and what? This was 15, 16 years 16 ago 16 years ago. So, so he was 50 when he made this? Um, it feels like a young man's movie, though. It's 16 years beyond that, so 59. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cool. I'm actually curious to see. So, John Cusack. Oh, yeah. How old was he when this? He is 50 now, so he would have been 34. Okay. So, yeah, roughly yeah. roughly yep. my fucking age. That's, Told yeah. You. And that feels, yeah. that, <laughs> that feels about right, Told too, you. to be honest. And, and, and oddly enough, like in 2000, that feels about right for me now in 2016 as like, yeah, that seems like about the time oh, I start yeah. going through that weird crisis of like, what am I doing? How do I yeah. fucking settle down and figure things out? And it's like, oh, wait, everybody's married. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to think that like 15 years ago, men were also going through that because I think our generation is a sort of this weird thought that that's like a new thing that like, right. oh, we're all 30 and we don't know what we're doing. Right. And mm-hmm. I, you know, and it's like, yeah, but 15 years ago, the, the, apparently that was happening as well. You know what I mean? And the book was probably written even earlier than that. What I, I think often the think the book was written in like '98. Oh, was it was it out. adapted that quick? Uh, maybe it was earlier than that. I feel like it was written. You might be right because it's like the references a lot are very modern. modern 1995, so yeah. very 95. close, yep. Yep. very very close, and that makes sense because that's close as shit. That's always been one of those things that I think is fascinating about this movie <laughs> is, uh, you know, we talk about adaptation on the show a lot, and mm-hmm. and there's kind of two ways to adapt: either be like really adhere to the source text, right. or like really craft it and make it your own, right. and try and keep whatever the spirit alive or whatever. This is one of the as uh, regardless of which way you think is better. This is one of the best direct adaptations of oh, yeah. the book. That. And they brought it across an ocean. Yeah. And it's and to tell you the truth, the reading ending? the book. No, he doesn't wind up with her in the end, I don't think. Is in that the true? Book. I, I don't, don't remember. I, don't I saw the movie a couple of times, then read the so. book. Yeah. And I remember noting how close they were despite termino- like terminology differences. Sure. Yeah. Ah. Instead of slut, the, the guy calls uh, what's her name? He calls no he calls her a scrubber. Oh yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Scrubber? Oh right, because yeah. it's a British book. Yeah, it's yeah, a British yeah, thing. Yeah. But otherwise, short of those little things, that that's, that's the my only memory real of it too. Jump. I don't know about the. I'm not sure though. Right. I don't think he winds up with her, you could which be right. actually feels more right. To I would me. agree with that. And even like, because I read the book before I had seen the movie, and this was like years ago, mm-hmm. and I saw the movie very young, and I was like, oh, okay. And then now this is the only other time that I've revisited mm-hmm. it, and I was like, oh, that feels different, yeah. and doesn't feel actually right to me like i don't think he should have her in the end i think that she should move on 
but when we were watching it, I, I said know. like I was like, oh, this scene never made sense to me when I was younger watching it, where yeah. they like have sex in the car. But that according was, to Wikipedia, they do end up. Together. They do. Okay, end up they together. do end up, and he quote unquote makes a symbolic commitment to to Laura, oh, which okay. I think you're is right, represented right, in the right, movie right, by right. I'm gonna proposal. make a new yes, mixtape. Yes, 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 I did ask, and he has the whole line about how I was chasing the fantasy, and the fantasy is wonderful, right. but it's a fantasy. It's not yeah. Real. I guess I like just never. Because because I it felt might like not it be more specific sense. about yeah, it because I, it's a I book. I don't think they are, but yeah, because it does feel weird. Like I, I I said it while we were watching it. Like I never understood this scene where they have sex together when I was growing up. Mm. Now I understand it more. Like I I do understand what's happening in that scene for mm. kind of both of them. Right. Like I do kind of get where she's coming from, and I do kind of get where he's coming from and stuff. But it does feel a little bit strange that she sort of, and it, it's I don't know. I don't know if it's the way the story is told or whatever. But there is this weird like. We spend so much screen time with her just like, I'm moving on, I'm moving on. And he is so shitty through that whole time that you get to the point, or at least I did this time, where I was like, yeah, you should move on. Mm, like, everybody yes. should probably move on. If you're going to be happy and healthy and take learn your lessons. Like, he doesn't mm, even learn. say that it's, like, the best thing that's ever happened right. or, like, anything. He's just like, it's just very good. Yeah. And it, that's it. Like, if, it's not great. It's right. just very good. And I do think that that's one of the maybe the points of it is right. like, hey, understand what you have when you have it. Right. Because it's not always going to be the fantasy. So, like, uh, appreciate what you have when you have I think that's one of the things we're trying to do. Like but cotton panties happen. That's right. <laughs> yes. There's yes. actually a wonderful exchange between Brie Larson and Amy Schumer in Trainwreck uh-huh. where uh, Amy Schumer confides. She's like, I like this guy and the sex is good, but it's not great. It's not like the best sex I've ever had. And Brie Larson's like, you don't want the best sex you <laughs> yeah. ever had guy. You want the guy that's that's just fine. Yeah. And so it's, it's sort of the, the same kind of thing. Like, I think he – it makes peace sounds like a settling, but it, I think he discovers, like – the richness of making yeah. the real decision is actually more satisfying and worthwhile to put your time into than the fantasy that, while it might be hot for a second, isn't going to last long. Right. The question to me would be, does the movie capture that? And it seems that we're, we're mixed on whether he does. I th- I mean, I I don't know. I, I've always felt that that ending feels a little bit like, not that everybody's compromising, but that I don't... A little yeah, bit, I don't like... totally buy that she would want him back after that ordeal. Mm. And I get why he would want her back, but I don't totally buy that that's even good for him. I almost feel like what makes the most sense, and this is just me now coming from maybe whatever life experience perspective mm-hmm. that I have now, is learn your lessons. Like, go through this shit together. This all this fighting back and forth in this year, it seems, of just back and forth. And so all I this. think that might even help with this, is if I had a better sense of how the long the period it takes yeah. over. Because if it was over a, you know six months' time, yeah. it could be argued that this traumatic time is actually that growth we right. needed. But to wrap up the movie, we get there. Yeah. And then I wonder... You know, how long was it? Yes. Was was this, is his revelation earned, and then thusly do I believe it? Right. And Yeah, I, I don't know where I stand on that and yet. And also, like, the only sort of um, judge of her happiness that we get, like, of somebody else that's not him, is Tim Robbins' character. Right. And Ian sucks. Yeah. Like, he's the worst. Or is yep. it Ray? hi ray um but he's like terrible so you just go yeah i guess they're happy together because she wasn't happy with him and it's a weird thing of like her dad dies and that's when she decides to go back with him and now the dad she was like he uh he wanted you at the funeral he liked you which is a tough challenge for any guy to impress that no does that earn it i don't think so but 
I don't even. That mean, is a rare thing. Totally. I don't even mean earn it as much as my my thought was like uh, n- now knowing what I do about people and things like that. It's like she lost her dad. I don't know if she's in the right headspace to be making like the best choices about like who she needs to spend the rest. of You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. like it, that it, day they have. Yeah, that in the car moment like... always seemed weird to me because it's like, oh, this all seems like it's tied up in a lot of emotions that don't necessarily have anything to do with you and Rob. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But then here's the other question. Once the credits roll, did they stay together? Right, who knows? I, I actually don't think that it's supposed to be saying that they happily ever after. Right. I, d- I don't think that's suggested. No. It's just at the end of the credits, our characters are functionally dead. We've gotten to this point. The rest is up yep. in the air. You know. And but I do, like, I remember being young and seeing that thing and being like, what is that a funeral? Who wants to fuck? Right. Yeah. Now, I as get an adult, it I do see that it does make sense, but yeah. it, it is a weird... And I think that has to do with the length of the movie. I do too. Do we make it longer? Right. Because you know it would serve this movie great. Twenty That's minutes of their relationship before the breakup. Yeah. But it would also destroy the movie yep. in that that cold open of just boom done is what sets off his story, and that's that's the thing is the sacrifices. It is his story. Yep. But through his story, do I feel satisfied with her arc? I don't know. Well, but that's why the movie's successful in that way, too, because it's not her story. Exactly. It's, not her story. it's exactly. Rob's story. That's mm-hmm. what I was going like, to say. It's like the trade off there is like, great, we might get a more three dimensional Laura, which we might now our modern sensibility we might want because we're like, hey, women should have a voice and be I think represented. It shows we are interested in her. Of but course. It is, it is definitely but not her But it's his story. story, and I don't think his story would function as well no. if we knew more about Laura beforehand. Yes. Or you any know what of I mean? Because you know, like, if we knew more about Laura, we might have have too much sympathy for Laura yeah. as Rob is being such a fucking dick for an hour and a half. Yep. Mm. You know what I mean? But I think that's what's so special about this movie as well is that it has such a strong point of view mm-hmm. and you don't see that in movies ever. A lot Yo, of times totally like, movies are, are done in such a way that like there is no actual point of view. Yes. And in this movie, it's so specific. Mm-hmm. And like we are we are Rob. Mm-hmm. As the audience, like we're not another character. We are Rob's mm-hmm. conscience, and we are the ones who are watching his world. Mm-hmm. And that is useful because we're not just a third person narrator. Yeah, like we are the first person in the narrative. We are doing oh, yeah. what the book is doing, in which it's like I, 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 I. Yeah, yeah, and we yes. go, oh yes, I, I, we, 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 mm-hmm. as opposed to like you, me, my. It's mm. just like yeah, more interesting that way. It it reminds me of. Uh, it wouldn't work as an outside narrative. I think you're right. It's the same thing. It 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 ties into It'd a movie empty. like Ferris Bueller. One of the things about Ferris Bueller's outside Day narratives. Off is that it's just him telling you his story. Mm-hmm. When he starts singing uh, "Shake It On Baby Now," yeah. mm-hmm. you go, "This this couldn't have happened." Right. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. But he's telling us it happened. Right. Ferris's you know, story so to it, tell. It's existential in that way that we are. We are limited to it, yeah. and it's true. We don't see that because oftentimes we do want to cater to such a you know the four quadrants, mm-hmm. you know, the, such such a broad audience. And what's funny is that this movie is largely considered beloved, oh, yeah. and a classic, yeah, and it's course. because it does commit to. It's not going to be pretty, it's not going to be right, but it's going to be true. Yeah, you know it, that's one of the things I loved truth, about you know mm-hmm. exactly. I, Anomalisa was a difficult movie for me. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's perfect. But one of the things that's difficult about it is like, like the, the guy at the center of it. He's not the guy you want to be, but we're telling you the truth. Right. That's refreshing. Yeah. And high fidelity, I think, resonates because of that. I, I think that's true. Actually, the mo- the more we talk about it, it's it's that that sort of it. This is quote unquote. This is Rob's story to tell. You yes. Know? So exactly. it's like exactly. Uh, you know. Okay. So maybe Laura doesn't get. Maybe she doesn't come off 
great necessarily and maybe we don't get to know enough about her to feel good or bad about her one way or the other doesn't matter this is rob's story to tell this is his perspective on laura i will say that we do get a very clear sense of why he's infatuated with oh yes um we don't quite know her but we do believe that that i see why he's in love with her exactly exactly and and that is also kind of refreshing in a way that most of the typical John Cusack comedies is check out this hot girl he's into. Right. Oh, I totally get into her because look at them titties. Yeah. <laughs> She's not that at all. Right. She's a very real and just legitimate woman. Might not be the fullest character, but through his eyes we realize, oh, she is not the fantasy, but... She's real. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that, that definitely is, is uh, properly functional to mm-hmm. his story. I, I isolated this one line. I don't even know where I want to go with it, but I think it's it's uh-huh. it's just one of my favorite lines because one of the hardest things to deal with growing up is do I want to bargain my freedom for commitment? Mm. I am a person who's always had trouble with committing. And he says, this is a quote, uh, I can see how I never really committed to Laura. I always had one foot out the door, and that prevented me from doing a lot of things, like thinking about my future, and I guess it made more sense to commit to nothing, keep my options open. And that's suicide by tiny, tiny increments. Yeah. At the moment where he says that, he's sitting on a bench in the rain. I don't know if he believes it at that moment. I believe it. Oh, yeah. That's a truth that I think when I was 16 watching the movie, I would have been like, he's right, keep them options open. Yeah. But as an adult who's put time into just any sort of commitment, you start to realize the value of that. Mm-hmm. And that's a lesson that, that we do watch him learn. I don't know if he believes it at that moment, but I think Nick Hornby, as he wrote it, believes that that is an inherent truth. I think that that's um, the lesson our generation should... That's like the line we should have been putting in our away absolutely. messages, not the thing <laughs> about like wh- how miserable we are from pop music or right. liking things and Some how important that is. Sunday yeah, later. yeah. <laughs> um, well, and it's, it's, you know, I could... You know, and it's the, the critic versus creator thing. Yeah. I love watching a movie and writing about it. Mm-hmm. You know it would be intensely more fulfilling? <laughs> Making a movie. Making a movie. Yeah. You know what's funny, though? And it takes that commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I like to call that today's truth. Like you, where you just kind of like spew a bunch of bullshit and you're like, well, this is how I feel about this thing right now. And that's yeah. today's truth. Yeah. And then tomorrow it like might not necessarily be the truth. But that's what this movie feels like, too. Is mm-hmm. right? Like he's telling us like this is today's truth and I hate commitment. And yeah. then the next day you're like, wait, why are you trying to get back with Laura? Yeah, yeah. You know, like exactly. Exactly. Five minutes later, you're like, wait a minute. But today's truth. Yeah. Yesterday's truth was you hated commitment. Yeah. yeah. Today's truth. Is I want to be with Laura. Yeah. Tomorrow's truth is, but what about Charlie? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just really. He does have a lot of those moments in the movie where he like we go through a very dramatic sequence between him and another character, and as soon as it's, it's over, over, he leaves and he's talking about another character, yeah. and he's just on to the next. Well, like, what's well, like, like a song? Has sex with? Uh, is she Marie? Mar- she yeah, Marie. Marie. Maria. Yeah, like. <laughs> You actually, you actually mentioned it. You were just yeah. like, I love that he walks away from her after this really intense sort of like moment and yeah. they had just had sex and he leaves her house or his house, whatever. And it's just like, but how do I get back with Laura? Yes. It's like, what? And you know what's funny about that too? He says to her, he goes, 
oh, I'll call you. And she yeah. just is like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I figured this out. You haven't yet, but In the worry. musical, yeah, she's actually. She's the only one that like looks at Rob and goes, yeah, I see you, Rob. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> In the musical, that character, this is actually kind of funny, that character like had sex with Lyle Lovett and that's her thing. Uh, and so he's singing a song about, he's like, I just had sex with somebody that had sex with Lyle Lovett. <laughs> and she's like, I had sex with somebody that was part of Kurt Cobain's intervention. We all know how well that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> like the so she's uh, like really disappointed great. in him yeah. and like not really excited about being with him. And he's like so hype. Yeah. It's just really oh, yeah. funny, funny and stupid. <laughs> I relate his ability to jump like that to I've, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to come up with an example of songs, but there's been so many times where I listen to two songs that have completely conflicting mes- messages. Oh, yeah. I could listen to them back to back. But in that bridge, when I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is it. Yep. This is how I feel. <laughs> yeah. And then the next song, co- song comes on. I'm like, you know what? He's right. Fuck the police. You know, like it's <laughs> yeah. just a, Fuck the police fuck and the, the police. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the middle that, of it, I yeah. go, oh, I, I, I totally get what he's saying. And yep. this is the truth. <laughs> but this is also the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there's a lot of truths. Yeah. We're just trying to figure truth. out one. Today's, today's truth. exactly today's truth, like you said. That I've been having a weird experience lately where I'll like listen to a particular song and it'll feel very relevant to me, uh, and it will start making me feel, you know, some kind of like negative way. Scary. And then I literally over the last like two weeks, I've just been thinking about this movie and that line about like, am I miserable because I listen to pop music, or do mm. I listen to pop music because I'm miserable? And it's because I keep hearing these songs that like I start listening to them and I'm like, yeah, this really reflects the way I feel. <laughs> and then I realize I feel down, and I'm like, I didn't feel down before I hit yeah, play. Yeah, I felt uh, fine. God damn you, Paul. <laughs> yeah. <Simon>. Jeff Buckley. <laughs> yeah, oh. Ooh, <gasps> Jeff Buckley and Elliot Smith. That Beautiful, is a though. recipe oh for God. going to bed <laughs> just completely unfulfilled. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're uh, so good. They're so good. Yep. So, so good. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that it does speak to how well pop music does speak to our experiences, right? The fact that that's what we hear in those songs. Mm-hmm. We go like, oh, God, this is like crushing me because it really is reflecting my experience. It is reflecting your experience in some way for you to feel that way. It's, Music's it's very crazy. impressive. It's crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, that was the first thing that I was like, I'm going into show business because music is music Because this Blink-182 is legitimate. <laughs> Clearly. Um, before we finish yeah. talking about the movie, let's talk about it really quick on a technical level. Please. One of the things that I thought was so interesting about it is that it, you know, it's, it's shot on location in Chicago. Yep. The apartments are all very completely well-designed sets, yep. as is the music store. I probably believe that that's a real music store somewhere. Probably. I, I could probably draw you a map of Rob's apartment. I could I draw so. you at the store. It's all re- I could draw you probably the block that the store is mm-hmm. on. It's all real stuff. And what's weird is is now most of those things we build half a set and just put a, a blue screen back, yep. you know, green mm-hmm. screen background, which is fine. You can't tell. No. But it's the same kind of thing. Like I never hear the baseline, but when it's gone, I know. Yeah. I never think about it being a blue screen. Eh, sometimes I do. Sure. But when I see a movie like this and it's distinctly not, it's set pieces, that is... It, it was like when we watched Tremors and it was yes. like, look at all these fucking sets. Yep. That is... I miss that. Uh, me too, I man. I miss that so hard. I, th- I've been watching so many like pre-1990 movies lately. Uh, <laughs> and I like... I don't know. Every time I watch them, that's like mostly what I think about is like, man, they... All of this is just shot on sets or locations. They or they, it's all just they had to like in order to make this movie, they had to make this yep. movie. They flipped the truck. Yeah. They didn't make it look like they yeah. flipped the truck. They flipped the truck. Yeah. yeah. It's and then the other technical thing I wanted to throw out there is like how better to employ a Jack Black if you've oh got one. Oh my god. <laughs> how better to use that tool? You know what god. I was thinking about this time? 
Is so do you good. think he got cast because they needed a transcendent music performance at the end, and they could not have somebody lip sync there? It had yeah. to be somebody it had to be they real. could actually perform, use their voice, and we backtrack from there to this entire character that's like so funny and amazing because of Jack yeah. Black. You don't think so? I think that they just. I think he just auditioned the same as everybody else and just fucking killed it. it pro- I mean, probably. Awesome. Yeah, probably. I think he definitely killed but it, but I think that that's part of it too. Tenacious they were already a thing. That, yeah. that guy, in that audition, and he's been in he movies before this that too. That doesn't hurt. See, that I asked you earlier. I was song. like, "Is this your first? Was this his first? Movie and you're no. like no, no he's no, 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 no. in he's in he's been in a ton of Cable stuff. Guy but, and, and oh, okay. the Jackal once again yeah. And, yeah. yeah but this is like the first like Jack Black role this yes. is the first time that he wasn't that that funny fat guy right like, he had a name a little bit yeah you know like he's his Jack audition Black. required a, a song though because I it had to I, have of course he definitely they probably were looking for and him and he probably like, picked Marvin perfect. Gay and he probably did it and oh, they were yeah. like we'll throw that in the movie because that's amazing does he sing I think he that's the song they sing in the book too but I mean either way. Watch Bernie. Yeah. The man can sing. Oh, yeah. Tenacious D. The man can yep. sing. it. So he can good. sing. Yep. That's, I, I was He's just, a great actor, too. He, oh, he is good. He's really... I mean, I, I actually would throw it right to Bernie again for that. It's like, yo, watch Bernie. That mm-hmm. dude can fucking... He can act. Yeah. He, he can put a character on. He He's really right talented. He's so good. Yeah. School uh, of Rock. He's so oh, yeah. good. Yeah. He's, he's been <laughs> musicalized twice now. Uh, yeah. Twice. Uh, yeah. He's fucking... And he's like And so they're just doing an impression of him. Right. Dude, Kung Fu Panda on Broadway. Yeah, Skadoosh. Yeah. Dude, coming next year, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, keep yeah. wishing. Yeah. For sure, yeah. I'm not uh, wishing. <laughs> I'm not wishing. I haven't but, even seen you know. that movie. <laughs> he, I, I, he is great in this movie. Like, they, I, because at least, I, and I don't know that this is like 100% true, but for, I think for me, for my generation, or at least for me specifically, this was my real introduction to Jack Black. Yeah. Like, I, so Saving Silverman was one of my favorite movies growing up. I still really love Saving Silverman. It's him and Steve Zahn. That was his first million dollar paycheck. I bet it was. Yeah. That's, that's a fact. But this was probably pre that, right? Wouldn't this have been a year or two before, or was that before this? I don't know, but I they're close. They would have been I, really close to each other. This um, is yeah, I'm wondering Silverman. if Saving Silverman's 2001. Actually okay, so that's what I thought. Tight, yeah, because I, I, my memory is that I actually saw him here first. Right. And then Saving Silverman was the thing where I was like, that dude is a comedic genius, which is a hilarious so thing to say about Saving Silverman. He popped uh, up in <laughs> Mr. Show, and he was just that funny. Like I remember recognizing him in Cable Guy and going, I see that guy everywhere. Yeah, now. yeah. Like he's he's in things. But he's not any, and then you know he was that he guy. The, he was that guy. Yeah, yeah. it's funny too because in Cable Guy, uh, Owen Wilson's in it, and that was right on the cusp of him becoming the guy who's in things. Oh yes, yeah. And yeah. then he's you know, oh, what a terrible time to have <laughs> he's a famous. house guest. Yeah. Now he's famous. He went and had to write Rushmore and be a genius. <laughs> Get his Ugh. broken nose and his broken ass nose and his, his beach sensibilities. <laughs> God He's damn always it. at the beach that his that Owen Wilson with his oh, more talented brother. I'd say they're about hey, equal. I disagree. <laughs> See, Luke Wilson is a good actor, but he didn't write Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, um, Bottle Rocket. Mm-hmm. He didn't write any of those. Got to give him some of that. <laughs> you mean Dupree? <laughs> um, he didn't get any of that. No. Uh, yeah, I love Jack but Black. But his in this nose movie. isn't unbroken. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's true. It's he true. came into Chili's once, um, Luke Wilson. I was not there, so I'm relating a secondhand story. But my buddy Sean, you were just at his wedding. Hi, I Sean, if you're listening. <laughs> he was bartending for, and, and Luke Wilson was there, and someone bought Luke Wilson a beer. This is the whole story here. Uh-huh. He gave him the beer and said, Ah, guy down the bar bought that for you. And Luke Wilson went, All right. <laughs> <laughs> the end. 
best Luke Wilson story I've ever heard in my life. All right. City line out. City line out. Of all the places you could go, that's the one where the hookers aren't. So you are, that's where you go. And maybe they are. I don't know. But yeah, I think uh, the Jack Black performances is killer, and Todd Luizzo as Dick. Yo, uh, that was funnier this time than it's ever been. It's so funny because I've been that guy, I've met that yeah. guy, and I love that guy. He's he's, he's so nice. But also, he serves as a model uh, for Rob because yes. he he meets uh, Anna, Anna Green and Mossy. Mm-hmm. Um, he meets Anna Moss, and we don't really get too much of her. No. But when he says, hey, listen, I'm going to go meet up with her. But and Rob so watches sweet. as they go up front and they meet up and they have a sweet little moment. And he envies that and goes, oh, man, I really want that. And the seed of the idea is planted. I fucking had that. Yeah. But I was a dick. Yeah. Well, and you then know look at po- Dick over <laughs> here. <laughs> dick. But the funny thing about that is that they met in the place that they love. Like, yes. Which, yeah. which Rob and, and Laura did. They originally. did as well. Yes. But... Uh, you see, like, because it's Rob just, like, being a malcontent, that yeah. it's like, oh, they don't have that much in common, but they do. And, mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. then Dick and his girl are, like, already have the thing in common. Well, there's a the difference start. in how they would meet, too, because when they meet, he goes, oh, you like Green Day? Then you'll probably like Stiff Little Fingers. Whereas Rob stiff would go, fingers. you never heard of <laughs> Stiff Little Fingers? Yeah, yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. You know, it's a different right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. The, I I do love That's all funny. the the sort of uh, the the snobby humor in it mm-hmm. is very funny. Which With again, I think yeah. <laughs> I, again, I feel like our generation took the wrong fucking lessons from this movie and didn't realize it was a critique of the snobby guys in the record store. Uh, and everybody thinks that that's the how you be cool. Is to, oh, the best know? character is, uh, and I'm I'm gonna be awful here. The oh. black guy. Oh, I forget yes. what his name is, uh, but he straight up is just like, you sold that record to me yeah. and not to him. They're like, well, because he's a nerd. He's like, you guys are snobs. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> he goes, you guys are snobs. And they go, nah. And he goes, uh, <laughs> he goes, well, then why did you sell it to me? And they go, I forget what they say. They say like, you're not a nerd. And then he 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 says something. Well, he says something to the effect of, uh, oh, he goes. He goes. Uh, well, no, he he says something like uh, like uh, oh, what does he say? He says something about him. He says something about himself, and he goes, "Well, I'm not this." And they go, "Nah." And he goes, "And that guy is this." And they go, "Yeah." I think <laughs> he says something like, "You you uh, you know you you act like you know more than him," and right. they all kind of agree, like, "Well, we yeah. do." You know, it's, it's I love that it because they keep saying no as he keeps yeah, accusing yeah. them, and it's until he goes, "But you all know much more than that guy," and they go, "Yeah." Well, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what we do. Yeah, oh, I love that. You guys want to want to do some lists? Let's do some lists. Let's do some lists. Uh, so, wait, final word on the movie. What's everybody think? I fucking love this movie. I do and too. the, the best great. thing about it is the way I feel like it grows with me as I get older. Mm-hmm. As uh, um, uh, as a man who uh, you know has gone through a lot of these experiences and thinks about these things a lot, it's fascinating the way I grow with Rob mm-hmm. and the way Rob grows with me and the way you sort of like can look at the movie at one point in your life and go like he's a hero and at another point in your life and go he's a shithead and at another point in your life go. It, no, he is kind of a hero because he he fucking actually like takes the time to investigate himself. He's a protagonist. And figure it out, you know. Uh, and I I kind of I, lo- I do kind of love that about that. I think it's like you could actually take positive lessons away from this if you can get over the fact that you think Rob is the fucking coolest dude in the world and everything should be like it is in his weird little self-centered headspace. This movie <laughs> invites you to swallow your ego the yes. same way that he does. Yes, and it gives you a a plan. You know, almost an outline with, excuse me, with which to do so. And then the movie itself, the reason why I love it is because it almost represents the theme of the movie in that this movie, if you watch it once, it's a great comedy. It's funny. But I've discovered 
over time by engaging it and putting in the time and yeah. not treating it as a one-off, there's a richness to it that is earned over time. Yeah. And so the value that it creates is indicative of the value that Rob learns how to respect, earn, and hopefully create within himself to offer to others. Totally. I can't ask for more than that from a movie that at its heart is still just a very funny comedy. I, I love it. I think that might be the most beautiful thing you've said on this podcast. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'd watch it again. I mean, this is one of those movies that I've seen a lot, and mm-hmm. I would watch it again regularly. Yep. Um, Too long. Partially because it's... <laughs> <laughs> most movies are. Yeah. Partially because it's just an enjoyable movie, but yes. as I get older, partially because every time I do it, I'm going to re-up on those lessons oh, yeah. and possibly get more. I That's agree. That's cool. Well, I'm, I'm curi- excited. To I'm see curious it. about your final thoughts on it, Jenna. Uh, uh, well, it's definitely the best Nick Hornby adaptation. I would that's agree with been that. Put to did screen. you see the one they did for the people jumping off the building? I didn't uh, see that yet. From uh, from the top, is that what no, it's called? No, it's called Falling, or I forget what it's called. It's the one, the book with the feet. Yes. on the cover. Yes. no, I didn't. see A long it, way down. A long way down. Yeah, there you go. I didn't <laughs> see that. A long either. way from falling. Yeah. Um, no, but I saw about a boy, yeah, and I and was like, eh, okay. it's yeah. okay. It's, okay. it's yeah. just like typical Hugh Grant mm-hmm. shit. But There's the introduction of, uh, oh, what's that oh. guy's name from Mad Max? Uh, Nicholas Holt. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But this is definitely like the best because Nick Hornby's like real good at pop culture shit. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is Nick Hornby's most writing about himself. Oh, certainly. Yeah. It's him being like, I'm super kind of autobiographical. Yeah. So here's that. Uh, I do think it's hard to watch a whole bunch of times because it is like two hours long and it's yeah. a lot of pop culture references back to back to back to back. Right. And unless you're like, I'm sitting down to watch this movie, like you're not going to sit down and watch well, it. Well, like, do you find it relatable the way that we do? Because I, I could see it being hard to rewatch if you can't relate to it to see, the way, you know? I do in the pop culture sense of yeah. it because I'm like totally a pop culture junkie mm-hmm. and this is like my world and yes. the record store world is like my world. Yeah. And these men are all men that I've known in my life and I've either dated or okay, yeah, 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 had yeah. to deal with in some sort of intimate sense because yes. they were my friends in high school mm-hmm. or they were my friends in college. And so because of that, I find it relatable, but I also wouldn't like I don't sit down and I'm like you know what I could really watch right now <laughs> yeah yeah my fidelity yeah. but the book I have reread like two or three times okay interesting in a way that I'm just like oh, okay this because the book talks more in generalized sort of like relationship issues and right, commitment yes. issues mm-hmm. that I like really identify with so you can actually identify with paper, Rob, Rob in the in the book my audience R- right okay okay no. and also the book you can put down Take yes. a break. Yeah. You know, yeah. the movie, you kind of want to do a one sitting. I'm like, all right, I need to watch this all the way through. And I hate Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones isn't in the book. She's <laughs> not in the book, which is, like, really great. Yeah. But it it is funny to, like, see those characters on screen and be like, I fucking know you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. I'm on to you. I forget what the comedian was, but he, he was talking about, like, movie tie-in book covers. Uh-huh. As if people would be like, oh, man, Brad Pitt's in this book? <laughs> right, right. I love that. Yeah. And I also, I'm not, like, not crazy about John Cusack. I think that he's a good surrogate for Get this out. sort of stuff. <laughs> but I'm, like, not, he doesn't blink on screen, and it drives me crazy. So. I think that's true of a lot of actors, <laughs> if you really it pay is, attention to them. Is. He's good, like being John Malkovich, and in this, he's like a great audience oh, surrogate. Oh, he's but incredible. He's, he's like yeah. not the 
my my favorite actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, well, but how about just uh, strictly in this movie? Because it's like so he's, centered he's on being lovely. able to like, yeah. He's lovely in this movie. I still think that he's like a step removed from what I want him to be. Oh, interesting. But as a can you think of somebody that would be able to be Rob for you, like a better Rob? God, uh, not really. <sighs> That's fair. I, I was just curious. Yeah, I'd have to think about it. Like, I'd have to think about the people. I feel like you lose the meta tag of him being that guy. I think Josh Brolin would be good at guy. it. Whoa. I think Josh Brolin would be, like, a really good Interesting. Rob. Interesting. Um, because I think that he is, like, likable in a weird sense, but he also has that standoffish quality, and he's uh-huh. kind of a dick. Uh-huh. He's too beefy for me, I think. Well, I'm thinking, like, Goonies Josh Brolin. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, are you enough. thinking, yeah. like, yeah. a younger yeah. Brolin? Thinking, like, yeah, younger okay. Brolin. Yeah. Not like Brolin now, yeah. but, yeah. Beefy bro. <laughs> just because I think that he has that weird sort of like yeah that's interesting childlike but also hard how would Pen you feel, how would you feel about Kako. Idris Elba he's fucking <laughs> great he can do anything so yeah. you're good. also he can do anything but then he you know there's only one black person in the movie so two black people in the movie um, and I don't even know no that's know. that's fascinating yeah. I, was, I was just curious so yeah I feel like there's other people that could capture the character but in terms of just the metatextual I mean, quality was, of He's got to be a yeah. John. It's a John Cuse. It's See, Lloyd Dobler growing up. Yeah. So like that's, it was his time. Yes. yes. 100%. <laughs> so this yeah. is his movie. Yeah. And that's just the way that it is. Yeah. Now it would probably be like an Apatow, Apatow, Apatow crew. Probably. And it would probably not be Oh, you know who honest. it would be? It would be fucking the dude who made Goon. What's his name? The the young, he's in Tropic Thunder. Oh, Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel. Yeah, he's uh, too young looking for it. But you I think so? It. Actually, you know who I could see doing it would be like a Miles Teller. Oh, totally. Yeah. Probably. Um, but but even like him, like, he's another one where he's a little bit too hunky for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. he's got a, just a little bit, uh, he's got just a, just a little bit of hunk on him. Uh-huh. <laughs> John Cusack does not have. He's got a hunk of yeah. hunk on him. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, I, if I were to put Miles Teller in Bob Dylan where it yes. would just be it, it would be silly yeah, yeah. <laughs> see that's the thing that's the key to John Christian Cusack Bale is you could get the uh, I don't know I don't know he's too brooding yeah. I, I, I wouldn't he I don't think newsies. I could root for him <laughs> you were just you talking about how you, you were just talking about how you hated you love newsies. newsies and you know who couldn't be I in newsies? newsies John Cusack no, yeah. I don't see it just because I love no. Newsies doesn't mean I, I <laughs> automatically <laughs> advocate Christian Bale and everything I don't even like him as Batman but uh, no. you know is what it is no. uh, but it, I, I feel like with with the john cusack you you lose anyone else in those costumes it would become a caricature yeah but you also just lose that tie-in to this uh, is I john right. cusack's yeah. function in our culture yes but you know, you know what know. i do love about the movie though like as a director is that it does like i said it has like a very strong point of view and yeah. that's like really exciting because you never see that i totally agree and it's fucking awesome you know because it I don't know. You can just see the world through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And that's nice because you can step back and just like, oh. Let's throw this question out there. Could you tie another director to this that you'd like to see their style? John on Cameron it? Mitchell would be fucking awesome. I could see that. But it'd be very similar. Yeah. This is going to sound weird, but I actually think that uh, Wes Anderson would make a very interesting oh, version yeah. of this. His sense of like organization and chapters. space yeah. and chapters and stuff would apply to this in its own very interesting way because the whole thing is about lists yep. and organizing. Danny Boyle would also that was be my really choice fucking was awesome. Oh, wow. That's a Danny fucking was great poll. Yeah. The only thing is with, with Danny Boyle is I would want... He'd be more flashy. I would want vacuuming though. completely naked in paradise, Danny Boyle. I would not want... Mm. Uh, uh, what's it? Uh, trance. Like a train spotting or trance. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of Danny dog. Boyle. Danny yeah. Boyle. Danny Boyle would be fucking awesome, though. Yeah. Fincher would be too dark. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Finches would be weird. It would be weird. Good though. Uh, you know what would be interesting? Like Brett Ratner. No. How about Edgar Wright making the actual British version of this uh, that'd movie? That'd be cool. I could see. I could would it see be a little Frank too Oz? hyper though? It would Frank end Oz? up being more hinged Ooh. upon the references than yes. upon yes. the the text. Yeah, yeah. that's true. You know, I, yeah. That's true. I don't think it would be bad, but right. it would be a different movie. Yeah, you're probably right. But that's in, why in like a world it. where this movie doesn't already exist, I would be like, "Yeah, he's perfect for it." Yeah. Right. But where this is, it's like, ah, I don't yeah, know. this hits like a really nice sweet spot. It's in there. Yeah. That stuff. Well, that's yeah. why like Apatow couldn't do this movie because no. it would become all about oh, the references. Oh, it would be seven hours long, and yep. his family would star. Yeah. 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 And it would be all about the references, and yep. wouldn't be about Seth the Rogen would play the Jack Black character, oh, yeah. and he'd kind of become the star. There'd be a long be train of irrelevant cameos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. T- yeah the uh, t- instead of Tim Robbins playing, like t- actually, they'd get Tim Robbins, <laughs> Tim Robbins to come back and it. play that character yeah. oh, again. Yeah. But every other character would be filled by cameos too. Like oh, everybody yeah. else in every scene would be a cameo. Adam McKay could do it now. Oh, interesting. Now yeah. he could. Yeah, actually, I could see that. I'm not saying I want to reboot. He could do it, but he's <laughs> another one too, where I think his version would would lean a little more on improv. Yeah, yes. which is fine. It actually might serve this. But one of the the valuable things about this movie is that it does create a natural, uh, you know, just transposing of the the text. Right. That text is it's it's pretty spot on to the text. I mean, there are lines that are lifted directly. It's also like it it's, would be tough to. Li- I, I wouldn't want to see John Cusack riffing. No, and know. it's so much Rob's world. I wouldn't want anybody else in Rob's world. Those that can't see, Jenna just rolled her eyes yeah. to the. You could see out of her ears. Yeah. It's it's so much in Rob's world. I wouldn't want to see Rob's world invaded by other improving people. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I only want it to be from his perspective. I wouldn't mm. want the other characters to improv their way into their own perspective. Jack perspectives Black is definitely it, on know? a chain in this. Yes. You know? oh, well, oh, you know who should direct? Who could direct this movie? This is gonna blow your minds. Ben Stiller. Oh, the, the, I fucking Fuck yes, yeah. yes. Ben Stiller could have done that movie and then, totally. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. would be everybody. Yes. Rob. <laughs> 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 Actually, I would like to see Robert Downey oh, Jr. doing a him. Tim Robbins character. <laughs> but oh, then once yes. again, the Tim Robbins character, the reason why that works is because <laughs> he has a history with John Cusack. Yes, Actually, exactly. Tom yeah. Cruise would be Oh, he would be oh, amazing. That would be amazing. He'd be amazing. Like, we just got to talk. <laughs> we, should, uh, <laughs> we should talk with about it. With his giant arms. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Should we hit these lists? Let's I think do these lists. I think so that's a nice wrap. After I dropped it five times. <laughs> to reiterate, oh wait, I wrote my list on the phone. To reiterate, what we were doing is in honor of this movie being very musically inspired as well as just being very into lists, we've decided to do a top five favorite soundtracks and or scores to movies. And then follow-up question, do we crucify previously great artists for their <laughs> latter-day sins? Is it better to burn out or to fade away? I'm doing the hand gesture. <laughs> no, the, the follow-up question is, after doing this list, where do you stand? Do you prefer a good soundtrack or do you prefer a good score? Does anyone want to start or should I kick it off? Uh, you. I'll, throw, I'll throw a kickoff. I'll throw a okay. kickoff because this is like this is real basic bitch answer right here. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Have you, have you ordered yours? Huh? Have you ordered yours? Oh, I ordered uh, mine. Mine are ordered kind generally. Of. Ki- yeah, kind of. My one and two are untouchable. The rest are I kind of in there. I ordered mine. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> My, I, you did more work than us. Yeah, Kudos I, to you. I special mention. I didn't even I honorable mention. Uh, special mention. I tend not to, to to order them, but it is I, I give them a bit of an order, and that, that's why I started with this one. Real basic bitch stuff. Jurassic Park is one of the most evocative scores. I I, I think. John it, Williams. It, it, yeah, and he has done so many okay. great scores, but I think that Jurassic Park is the one that like I can. 
I mean, I can hear a lot of them out of context. I know what movie they're from, mm. but I can hear Jurassic Park out of context and have like a literal like life moment of like, oh, oh yeah. it like really like moves you know me cool regardless of what I'm doing. You can't apply it to another movie. No. Um, we've used Requiem for a Dream and in, Inception in and a million other everything. movies. Yep. You cannot apply it to another movie and it captures two equally important and distant things about Jurassic Park. Yeah. It can be scary. It can be filled with wonder. Every single Jurassic Park sequel has failed at capturing that yep. since the original, and a lot of that has to do with that score. I think so. It's I just some as soon as we started talking about this, I was like, that is I don't know. I, I once I started thinking about it, I was like, I that has to be on this list. I think that's uh, I don't know. It, it's just so perfect. If that makes I don't know. It, it fits the movie and is just like separate from the movie. Mm-hmm. Such like evocative music. I don't know. I, I like listening to it even outside of the context of the right. movie. All right, well, uh, my number five, we're going to let you have, since you ordered yours, we're going to let the number one boil down to you. So I will go here. So number five, um, this one I love. I listen to it at work all of the time. Hateful Eight. Oh, awesome. Uh, Ennio Morricone's score for that is awesome. But this one actually has it both ways because not only is it a score, but it does feature songs from my favorite band, The White Stripes. Yeah, that's right. So I I, I love it because it does. One song from them, (laughs) but it also, there are sections from other Ennio Morricone scores in it. Oh, there right. Are, you know, there, yeah. there are other have things sample that he himself, borrowed right? and yeah. reused. They did that in the remake of Cape Fear. They took the original score and reworked it, but still held on to it. Mm. That, that was an honorable mention. Man of Steel <laughs> was an honorable mention because uh-huh. I listened to that at work all the time. Uh-huh. It's not a great score, but it's just Hans Zimmer doing what he does right. But yeah, Hateful Eight, it's just a really good score. And for a movie that is all about operatics and staging as opposed to slam bang in your face of Tarantino mm-hmm. stylized stuff, that score is extremely important. And it also has an awesome uh, <laughs> song by Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so Music good. time's over. Love it. She's so good. What's your number five? My number five is Royal Tannenbaums. Ah, well, I'm going to jump in and say that's my number four. Really? Yes. Yeah, I, I just always, when I think about it, I'm like, oh, These Days by Nico, the only time I ever mm. think of it, or Needle in the Hay by mm-hmm. Elliot Smith. I mean, when they come across on the albums that I'm actually listening to, I go, Royal Tannenbaum's, duh. Right. Yeah. Judy is a punk. Ramones will oh, always yeah. be that. Every single time. But also and Mark Mothersbaugh, crushing yep. it. Yes. Yep. Like that, just the score by the itself score is, is just fantastic. really beautiful. And it plays over those chapter sequences. And you're like, I buy all of these characters. And even like the um, Charlie Brown Christmas theme that's playing mm. underneath a lot mm. of things just like is really evocative of that time. Mm-hmm. And it's just really beautiful. I like that the score by Mothersbaugh, who's probably most famous for Rugrats. doing the, the Rugrats. Rugrats theme and less famous for being in Devo. I'd say that. No, but I, the, uh, <laughs> it's funny as I was going to make that joke. And you were right on that page. Rugrats <laughs> is key. No, but his music in that movie sounds like the wind-up tone of a jewelry it, box. Which is beautiful. And for the movie that is a storybook it's that you open and close and the gorgeous. music goes with it, it fits. Yeah. yeah. It's good shit. Fantastic. It's that Nico song that always, like, I'm like, ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh well I'll just then make the Life Aquatic my number four. Oh right on! Yeah. I love the Life Aquatic soundtrack and it's the same thing. It's that it's a. F- it, 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 I actually think it, the reason I picked it is it's threefold on this soundtrack. It's a really great soundtrack of just like great pop music that uh, Wes Anderson loves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is all of these great Bowie covers by uh, oh, Say George. Yeah, Say George. He's coming to the Fillmore very soon. Is he doing just Bowie? Dylan's covers. Going. Oh my fucking yeah. oh. god! My roommate's going. Oh, I would love to see that. Uh, and 
it's a Mark Mothersbaugh score that's very good. Mm. And on top of that, that Mark Mothersbaugh score, one of the interesting things about the movie is the score happens twice throughout the movie. Uh, and on the soundtrack, you get both versions. Early in the movie, as when it's sort of just this um, kind of meandering story about a man at sea who's lost and doesn't really know who he is and what he wants, uh, is all kind of orchestral. And then as you build to the finale, where it becomes almost more of an action movie, and they're like, they're invading an island, Mm -hmm. and now he's got a son that he has to care about, and suddenly there are stakes, and he has meaning to his life, and he has a little more direction. They all take on this, like, bigger, more digital sound, too. The menu on that DVD, I can hear it in my head, and it's that more digital sound. It's so funny. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. Uh, I love it, and I love that. That's like I know this chair is part of it. Squeaky chair. <laughs> chair. I'm gonna go right through You're it. So I gotta fall. stop. <laughs> it's falling apart. If you yes, it if is. You guys want to make a donation? To I like. To oh, we can do. We chairs. need some chairs. Yeah. So hit us know, up I on got PayPal. This nice one. Yeah. This is good. Uh, but yeah, I just that's. I mean, when you buy that soundtrack too, it's like 35 tracks, and it's because it's this mix of all these different things that he did with that that I just love. It's one of the, uh, you know, it's one of the, I just think, like, most um, diverse soundtracks. Oh, yeah. And it's got like Queen Bitch on bit, it. Yes, which, which is, is like uh, my Probably my second favorite Bowie favorite. song. Oh, uh, that's my favorite. I love that so song. So good. Uh, just them marching down the dock. Yep. And every so new riff, two more people fall yep. into the fold. Brilliant. It's fantastic. Well, my four was, was Royal Tenenbaums. on it, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Oh, there's no such thing as a King song that isn't great. But that one is fantastic. Ride Divies. Yeah. I love them. So good. Ape Man is so fucking good. It's Waterloo amazing. Sunset. I uh, sat at Waterloo Station uh, when I was in London, and I listened uh, to that song. Anyway. I was an ape for Halloween one year, and I didn't know what that song was yet. <laughs> so, yeah, Royal Tenenbaums is my four, so we'll jump to you, Jenna. Train Spotting is my four. Uh, because honorable ooh. mention. I can't think about Lust for Life without thinking of that song. Uh-huh. Oh, that yeah. Movie. Um, also just like the entire soundtrack is just such a I'm like such a huge 70s punk rock person like that's Mm. my music like Ween is like my band but my genre is 70s punk rock and like Mm -hmm. all of that shit Mm -hmm. and that noise rock that's on that what's the what's the the Bowie song that's on there Um, I think there's two the one that that is uh, oh fuck <laughs> you know that one? You know the song. You, know. you guys know that uh, one. Yeah. Um, oh, it's gonna kill me until I know. I'm also. Uh, my brain is also but broken right like now because there's just a ton of Iggy Pop on that. That's just like really. That's okay. What it, what was his band called? The Stooges. Stooges. That's who I meant, by the way, when I said there's a great Kinks song on it. I meant so that my brain Raw was power. broken since Raw I said Kinks. Yeah. yeah. Since I said Kinks, my brain was broken because yeah. I was like, I know that's wrong, but I couldn't think <laughs> of Iggy Pop's band's name. The Stooges. Yeah. Uh, they're fantastic. And that, yeah, Incredible. that is that there's whole era. There's a lot era of New is... Order shit on this, too. And yeah. the Joy Division stuff that's just, like, really great. And also, like, there's just some noise rock on it that's oh, Lou Reed's really brilliant. There's Ooh. a fuck ton of Lou Reed. And Lou Reed is, like, Love my it. boy. Yeah. So. Yeah. And there's a lot of Velvet Underground, like, White Light, White Heat is on there and stuff. So, Train Spotting, number four. I've only seen that movie once. It's, oh, it's hard. Yeah. And it's brilliant. I see. I think I was in middle school, and I remember liking it a lot. Tough. But I like I. It because was tough like, enough. Within the first fifteen minutes, you're dealing with people like shooting up. It was and tough enough that I was like, falling oh, through toilets. Yeah, and I know. Underage women. I know. And, and it was like I liked it when I saw it. And, shit, yeah. and now that I'm more of a cinephile, I feel like I have more reason to see it. Yeah. But I also remember it being very difficult. Yeah, and it I don't, is. You know, it is. And even like the novel is really hard. Yeah. And I've been a Irvine Welsh. Yeah. For a really long what do you time, think about the sequel? Or is that a thing you're excited about or not interested in? I'm interested. Yeah. I read the book and because there's I'm a sequel book, right? Interested. Porno. Is yes, that, it's right? porno. Yeah. Yeah. 
And is the do, do, I don't actually know. Do, the, is the them, movie so. going to be based sick on the boy, book Renton. porno? Sick boy, rather. Renton and sick boy. Do we, the uh, I think so. Okay. Golden Years is the Bowie song. I was Golden trying to think about. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 That's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> That's there the you yeah, go. You heard okay. it. Love it. It also has this awesome trance song called Born Slippy. Oh, uh, yes. it's what they close the movie on. Uh-huh. And I remember I bought the soundtrack at Tunes Used, and that song had a Skips. skip in it. Oh, so <laughs> mad. Garbage. Uh, number threes, is that what we're doing? Number yeah. threes. The conversation. Oh, uh, nice. I actually no. don't really know. I can't think of that score, but I remember being so impressed with the sound oh, editing. I feel like it's got to be essential. Oh, it's great. And I now that I'm saying it out loud, I can't even remember who did that score. It's, I can tell you. Yeah, it's a... It's a um, I think it's Mark Mothersburg again. No, it's not, but I, that's understandable because like the <laughs> w- the score, like the what I always remember is the... It's like this almost like circusy sound. Uh, oh, it, yeah, it's like that. It's fucking. It's maddening. The score to the conversation is absolutely David Shire is yes, the name. I'm Shire. actually not familiar with it. Yet. He, uh, I'm not well, terribly familiar with him you know, either. He worked on Saturday Night Fever. I was gonna say in 2010 and Zodiac. I think and he's in a bunch Oz of stuff. Uh, and Glee, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's that conversation <laughs> score that blows my mind, and it's because it is such a maddening score. It's like truly maddening, and I, I actually can listen to it out of the context of the movie because I like it so much. Right. But it literally feels like if I were to ever listen to it for more than ten minutes, I would become Gene Hackman's oh, character yeah. from that. I would go that mad. Noises, oh, noises, no. noises, noises. It's so maddening, yeah. and I just I can't think of many other movie scores that perfectly evoke the mental space of their character. Mm. The, I mean, that's what that movie's about, so that might be partially why, but it, I mean, it so perfectly captures what I think that movie is about mm. tonally over 30 seconds, which oh, is yeah. like crazy. That is like an amazing thing to me that you could do with music. Uh, and that's why it's like one of my favorite scores because I think it's just like so... I mean, you know, like Jaws so perfectly matches the movie. Right. I think Star Wars so perfectly matches the movie. But I think the conversation, like, doesn't just match, but actually, like, like really evokes the same mental and emotional space I feel like it's that the that yeah. musical is equivalent in. of all of the clocks going off at once that yes. they always show. Yes. You know, just, ah. Yeah. I feel that. It's uh, it's awesome. That, and that movie is fucking, I fucking love that movie. That's one of the few <laughs> movies out there that I will just say, if you don't watch that with your headphones on, or in, or in a theater, but if you don't watch that with your headphones on, you fucked up. Yeah, you missed it out. That is a good-ass headphone movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a movie I'd love to watch on one of those little phone boxes. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, and just plug it in <laughs> yep. on your face. Uh, Google. Uh, yes, the Google, Google box. Yeah. The Google conversation box. box. Google box. <laughs> Google boards. Google pop. pop. Love it up. Pop, pop, boom. Cool the night food. Laura's dad and dad. <laughs> Mother, what a night it really was. Mother, what Angela's done. What's your number three? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, is it my Mother turn? What? Number three. She wore blue velvet. Blue velvet. <laughs> oh, Angelo yeah. Battlementi. Battlementi. He had to be on the list. Uh, yeah. He had to be yeah. on the list, and Twin Peaks is not a movie. Blue velvet is the perfect... <laughs> encapsulation of what Angelo Badalamenti does, and he is the perfect match for David Lynch in that he creates this weird... uh, It's the soap opera of the town of Pleasantville where everything on the surface is absolutely beautiful and it's so peaceful. But if you look at it from a 
a little bit of a different angle. Everything's fucked up and everything's going to burn down and we're all dying and this guy's on an ether binge and this girl's kidnapped and there's an ear in the grass. His music captures all of that. It could be... I've never seen Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Blue Velvet is... is well, oh. Twin Peaks is great, but Blue yeah. Velvet is, I've a, seen is Blue Velvet. a goddamn masterpiece. Yeah. But what's so good about it is <laughs> if, it was, if it was a pleasant little <laughs> sitcom town that yeah. had nothing subversive about it, the score would fit. Right. If it was a fucked up fever dream of just people stabbing each other, the score would fit. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Yeah. And it's mixed with the awesome performance of, of uh, Blue Velvet by uh, Why Am I Losing uh, Her Name. Yeah, I don't, I don't know it, actually. I do know it. I was actually just listening to a great... Um, you must remember this. That was all about Isabella Rossellini. No, oh, yes, yeah. um, all about that. But her performance is phenomenal. Yeah, Blue Velvet, number three. Fucking, yeah, that movie is great. I don't. I actually, to be honest with you, don't remember the score that much. I, I need to see that movie oh. again. It's like it's like sleepy and nightmarish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, interesting. Uh-oh. Battle right, Menti. I do like Battle Menti. Yeah. My number three, because I had to pick one disco soundtrack. Uh, honorable mention, Xanadu, which yeah! is fucking Xanadu it. awesome, because ELO is amazing. But as I was listening to this and my number three side-by-side Saturday Night Fever, yeah, edged it out yeah. because the Bee Gees yep. are just brilliant. Amazing. Uh, just brilliant. Uh-huh. And I... Because I'm a drag queen, I love <laughs> <laughs> love disco music, and I think uh. it's amazing. And I I wish that like some of the songs in Xanadu were better, yes. so that could like be my number three because <laughs> that movie sucks. I was gonna dick. say, you sure you don't just <laughs> wish the movie was better? No, the movie is just as bad as it needs to be, <laughs> and the musical is a million times better. But Saturday Night Fever is my number three. That's a great pick. That's a it's, good one. I love some Bee Gees. That's one of the few vinyls I own. Even, I mean, I listened to that soundtrack before I even had seen the movie, and I was yeah. like, this is brilliant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I saw the movie, and I was like, oh, this is even Oh, it's like really better. fucking good, yeah. And the Bee Gees so well. are yep. the stars and the musicians behind a terrible movie called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts uh-huh. Club Band, which should be all about the Beatles. You and would think the- so? And nope. It's not. Nothing to do with it. And it's not. Not a good movie. Nope. Awesome soundtrack. Uh-huh. <laughs> And it's the beach. It's the beach. The beach. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds it's awful. It does. Got in the beach. I'm about to bring up a movie I bring up almost every time we do a list. Uh. It's just that good. I love it that much. I listen to the soundtrack to the guest almost every uh, week. So good. Such a it good soundtrack. It is a fucking <laughs> phenomenal soundtrack. It's like it's got a few really good '80s things on it. Yeah, you know, it's it got does. like Love and Rockets. Uh, it's got a great song by Love and Rockets. There's a couple really good, strong. It's got that uh, Stevie B song on it. <laughs> uh, 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 what is that called? Uh, but it, so there's like some. It's also got that one. That's like um uh uh. uh haunted by your love. Yeah, that's uh, a Love and Rockets song. That is yeah, so yeah, yeah. good. In your head is haunted. Yeah, yeah it's so good. In the, in the haunted house. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, by your eyes, by yeah. your love. Yeah. Oh, Haunted. Haunted. <laughs> it's so, so good. good. That is, I believe, Haunted in the context of the movie, that's the song where he's like, "This is good. Can you make me a tape?" Is it's, that the one? It's actually not. the The context of the movie for that is when the no, camera. No, it's in the pans, haunted house, right? No, it's when the camera pans out of the girl's bedroom window and then oh, around the house, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's just uh, staring out the window menacingly. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I'm gonna watch that. Tonight. I like that arm movement. That <laughs> you're like, I'm strong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the like, I'm coming at you. <laughs> 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 All the Grimsters up there. We're gonna do the yeah. It's uh, that whole soundtrack is great because I then didn't it even also consider has that that might have made my 
list had Ooh, I thought about it's it. it's so good. Because yeah. it's got a lot of strong 80s stuff, which is what the movie is trying to evoke, but it also has a bunch of what I have now discovered is called Synthwave on yeah. it, mm-hmm. uh, which is just like, basic, it's essentially a bunch of bands that make John Carpenter soundtracks as yeah. like pop music. Yeah. yeah. And it works so fucking John Carpenter sky. does now. Yes. <laughs> he does that too. Like Who does? I'm sorry. Explosions in the yes. sky. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. It's fucking, oh, it's so good. It, it is such a great, like, basically it's just a great mashup of like modern and 80s music mm-hmm. that all actually feels like it's from the same era and evokes the same thing, yeah. which I think is very Drive cool. Drive is similar I think I've used the word evoke. Yes, it is. Evoke for every single one of these. Well, that's what the soundtrack can do is be evocative Evocative. of an emotion. Hit me with your number two, Dan. My number two, and it's no surprise to anybody, (laughs) is the score to the original, I'm waiting to get the composer's name, by (laughs) Bill Conti. Ooh. That's right. Rocky, baby. Yeah. There is absolutely no score that functions in terms of, uh, it just functions for that movie perfectly. There's, There's... when you put, even if you've never seen Rocky, when you put on Gonna Fly Now, you start doing push-ups. <laughs> you can't help it. You've never done a push-up in your life. You're going to do at least three. Yeah. It's just going to happen. It is so good. I, I, I mean, what can I say? It's like the best. It's this is how good Rocky. that score is. Creed came out. You and I went to see it in a theater. And yep. every time they even teased Bill Conti's <laughs> theme, which happens many times oh, throughout they that movie. They remixed it and put rhymes over yep. it. And it was... It, it, Every time you never like, every time there was one, Get a rock. Her, like, <laughs> it's so good, so good. It's it's one of the best, and the reason why I picked the original over any of the sequels is that the sequels came from a place of we know what a Rocky score is now, and a lot of it is Bill Conti, mm-hmm. but some of it's Survivor. Yeah, and, oh yeah, and James Brown. There was but literally like, like we, a we genre of music is. that was born of the Rocky soundtrack. Eye of the Tiger exists yeah. only for Rocky yeah. Three because they couldn't get Journey, <laughs> so they built a band to sound like Journey, <laughs> which failed at sounding like Journey, and created a song that I like better than most Journey songs. <laughs> and it's your alarm. And it's my that's my alarm is. Eye of the Tiger because <laughs> nothing it. gets you out of the bed better. You know, da, 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 bam, bam. You're like, I'm gonna go to work. Terrible. It's so good. Terrible. And, and I set like four alarms. So anytime you've slept over, you get up, you're doing push-ups. You don't even know why. But uh, no, it's that's the, hilarious because my roommate, uh, my like sophomore year of college used to set the Jurassic Park theme to be the uh, alarm in our apartment. But he, at the time, he didn't even have it set on like a cell phone or anything. This was like, <laughs> this would have been like 2005 or something like that. He didn't even have it set. It was like just on a huge stereo in our apartment. Oh, nice. So it was just set. So every morning, just throughout the whole apartment was the <laughs> Jurassic Park theme. It sounds amazing. It was incredible. <laughs> it was the best thing to wake up to. I recommend it. I, I, would, I would recommend it. But yes, Rocky, Bill Conti, it's just... It is original. It's one of those things yeah. that just lightning in a bottle. Yep. They nailed it. And the soundtrack. Lightning that they kept in a bottle for seven oh, movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did. I mean, because he's got to eat the lightning and then crap thunder. <laughs> and, uh, but there's also on the soundtrack, there is the Frank Stallone, uh, oh. who always makes an appearance. And he's a goddamn insane man. Uh-huh. You got you to gotta love it. He actually he did the soundtrack for Staying Alive. I was about to say. The, the, the Saturday sequel Alive, to Saturday the electrifying also sequel. Also good. Also good. <laughs> Uh, not loosely, great. U- loosely not on the good. Great. I do own the DVD. <laughs> I love that the cover of the good. DVD says the electrifying sequel <laughs> yeah. to Saturday Night Fever. It's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, Written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. Sold. I'll take two. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Music by Frank Stallone. Okay, uh, take one back, but I'll still yeah. take one. About I'm as in. electrifying as a key in an outlet. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
So my number two is... So pretty electric then? Yes, (laughs) moderately moderately electric. My number two is Beetlejuice. Whoa! What interesting, interesting choice. Because Danny Elfman, right? Danny Elfman, yeah. yes. Danny Elfman. Oh yeah. It's just like really. Im- <laughs> I I dream about that. Soundtrack. I picture when you did that, the camera sweeping yeah. through the yeah, miniature yeah. version <laughs> of that town. I've seen the movie once ever, and that it's it evoked the right? Yeah. I mean, I it it just throughout the entire movie, it's so. And even if the movie's like uneven at points, the the sound never gives up. And like yeah. Danny Elfman's score oh, is so yeah. beautiful and so amazing. And the Banana Boat song is on that soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Which oh, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That scene and used Catherine to scare O'Hara the shit out of me with the shrimp hands. With their little boobies and stuff. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And yeah, so Beatles. That's an awesome choice. I'm glad you chose that. That's I love cool. that. I did really like what you said too. What did you say that it like continues to carry the movie even when it's not? It does. Even that's when like, the movie's not the best. Yeah, that's a great description of how Tim Burton's career just continued to go. Oh yeah. Just, Danny, more, play more, play yeah. louder, harder, please. Faster, and, faster. And I've this, lost this movie. More squiggly trees. Give me more, Danny. Yeah. Deb's not doing it. Keep going. I think this was one of the first movies that Danny Elfman like did a complete score to as well outside of Oingo Boingo, and like you can still feel that Oingo Boingo feel in it, which is really amazing because Oingo Boingo's fucking awesome but <laughs> <laughs> what's that forbidden zone the oingo boingo movie yes that shit is fucking it's oh i've never seen that it's is it crazy it's Bonkers. awesome though. oh cool that's and actually really worth you know who turned me on to that m jacob alvarez oh yeah shout out to uh-huh. you buddy yeah it's completely bonkers but his like i don't know he just pushes pace so well in that movie it's awesome i'm into that that's an awesome choice yeah. i never even want to is beetlejuice <laughs> god bless you, bless you. what do you got for your number one g-man oh boy you ready for this Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Ooh. That's pretty good. Um, I, here's why I chose this as my number one. I love this soundtrack uh, because it does this really weird, interesting thing that ends up being like something that I really enjoy listening to, which is they, you know, the whole story is about these different bands, these different <laughs> like garage bands. And so they hired a bunch of just like Sex professional ba-bomb bands. <laughs> Sex bomb. Yep. Yeah. They hire a bunch of professional bands to be those bands. So yeah, you get yeah. all this like original music that's written by like Beck and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Broken Social Scene does some of the music. Um, I think Beck Metric. Did most of it, uh, Be- no, well, Beck was Sex Bomb. So all the Sex oh, Bomb right. songs okay. are Beck. That, that was really Metric's Beck. I actually did not awesome know that. As well. So, well, here's. But this Metric is also, does the soundtrack song on Twilight. Oh, it is incredible. So I bet it is. I, it's, so yeah, I don't know where the context great. is. But here's what's also great about the soundtrack. So it's like it's all these original songs by like bands we all like kind of know and, and like and respect and stuff, right? But they're all made to sound like mm-hmm. like garage rock songs, like mm-hmm. things that were recorded in somebody's basement. So I like that. We get to hear these bands we really like, but they're doing something specific, which feels like it exists in the world of the movie, which is, oh, these were all recorded in a basement. And... The actors in the movie are who do the vocals to all the songs. Yep. So they had like Beck write all these great original and Beck Alice songs. And like but it, then yeah. yes, but then it's like <laughs> Allison Pill and and Michael Sarah and uh, uh, Mark. Um, oh, why can't I remember that guy's name that plays uh, Stephen Stills? Mark something. Mark Weber uh, doing all the vocals to their songs. Uh, and so even like Crash and the Boys, which they're the band that yeah, plays yeah, like yeah. the really super fast punk songs. Yeah. A, that's Broken Social Scene writing those songs. The 26-piece band, Broken Social Scene, <laughs> oh, yes. wrote all the fast 10-second punk songs <laughs> that Crash and the Boys play. And those actors then do the vocal. It's like, I love just sort of this mix of of, of sort of theater and, and film and music mm-hmm. and score all mixed into. And then the score itself is this amalgamation of like, 
uh, 8-bit chiptunes and actual chiptunes from real Nintendo games with like new original chiptunes by a composer. Mm-hmm. The Seinfeld theme? Yes, <laughs> the exactly. Seinfeld but that's theme. what I mean. It's like, it is, a, a, you know, it's the kind of thing that I'm into right now, but it's like it's all, it's a pastiche of all of these things oh God, that, that I grew so up good. with. In did we one do an episode soundtrack. about that movie? I, I know we've been talking about it. I forget no, whether we I did. I told we you need I wanted to do it. And we that. should. That was one of the first. Well, we'll have you on when we do. Totally. I've, seen, I've watched that movie like six I times I love that in a movie. Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's time to revisit that, too. I, I saw the movie three times too. in theaters. I rarely see movies more than once in theaters. So good. I love that movie. That and Black Dynamite are the only two movies I've ever watched back to back. Like, literally, I finished the movie and I watched it again. Again. You know what movie I did that with? Eight Mile. It's because it's awesome. But, like, I dare you not to feel so charged up after the first movie. Like, let's go back to the yeah. do it again. How is that not on somebody's list? That's actually right? true. Actually, the, the 8 Mile soundtrack was my first introduction to a, uh, a famous uh, rapist by the name of 50 Cents. <laughs> 50 Cents. He's a great rapist. at raps. Yeah. The, I, One I, of my coworkers, he's an older guy, he used the term rapist. We're like, that sounds a little too close to another term uh, yeah. that maybe you shouldn't use when referring to people oh, no. without being very serious about it. I will, I'll give you one honorable mention for me. I said my number one just because we're talking about that. I almost said the soundtrack to Blue Streak because the soundtrack to Blue Streak, which no one remembers, Martin Lawrence movie, Luke Wilson, also in it. Uh, and I saw that instead of going to my sophomore homecoming. Awesome. I think okay. I did the same thing, but I would have been in like eighth grade. That's pretty awesome. Uh, also Dave Chappelle in the movie. Uh, that was my introdu- That was how I realized, oh, rap music is great. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the what it was, but end. something about that soundtrack. That I was like, oh, line. rap music is I great. I think it was Chappelle that said it where he was like, I'm going <laughs> I'm gonna rip your lips off and kiss my ass with them. <laughs> I'm gonna rip your tongue out and lick my balls. With them. <laughs> That's so good. That's amazing. Never forget that. Okay. My number one is actually from a very recent movie, and I'm gonna go on record and say <laughs> that it's my favorite movie of ooh, the year, ooh. and it's probably the best score that I have ever heard in my entire life. Swiss Army Man. Whoa! That movie <laughs> is flawless. It floored me. Hey, I can't and wait two to see times it. I've put the soundtrack on at work and had no, to go I to the can. bathroom to wipe the tears out of my oh, eyes because. It is brilliant. Oh, why didn't I say the Furious 7 soundtrack? Because that it's one song oh, that I remember pussies. from it makes me cry every time. <laughs> Not only is Retweet it Manchester it Orchestra every time. doing what they do. Oh, it's Manchester Orchestra? Manchester yeah, Orchestra doing what they do. Paul Dano does a lot of vocals in oh, it. Oh, interesting. As does Daniel um, Radcliffe. Radcliffe, but in corpse mode, uh-huh. where he sings da, 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 but they build around his flatness. Yeah. It also features people singing the Jurassic Park soundtrack, Whoa. which is why that didn't make it on my list, yeah. because that's part of it. Because according to Paul Dano, if you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know you don't shit. Know shit. <laughs> It has Cotton Eye Joe in it because Cotton Eye Joe is part of it. But it's so sad. And it is absolutely brilliant. (laughs) But it's it's the perfect representation. Like, listening to it, I'm watching the movie again in my head. But even without the movie, Paul Dano, and I don't want to be too spoilery, but his descent into what his eventual mental state is, Mm -hmm. is brilliantly captured. Mm -hmm. And even if you've never seen the movie, it's just good music. I do love... Good. I do love though when like I can listen to a soundtrack afterwards and like kind of relive the movie with yeah. it. That's like one that's, of my favorite. That's one of the things that I love listening to the guest soundtrack yeah. for. Is that really does capture that? There's that song. This does it? There's that song that plays in the bar fight in, in oh, the guest, yeah. and oh, every time yeah. I listen to it, I just go back to that. Money's scene. easy to get. That's a fucking <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. The, well, and that's actually one of my honorable mentions, and I said it earlier, was the Man of Steel soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Because I do love that movie, and I can watch it in my head. I was going to say, you get your feeling that you love so much of, oh, I'm Superman. Yeah, I, I yeah. want to be the best. Like, when I'm feeling really stressed at work, best. that's what I put and on, no and I go, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do it. <laughs> to catch them this But, yeah, the Swiss Army Man has just been my... 
I gotta I see would, it. Honestly, it's one of those it's where really if, if it wasn't a score, I'd be like, "What a great Arcade Fire album!" <laughs> but it's a score. It's yeah. awesome. That is. That's gonna be the, a tough movie to beat, yeah. even as award season rolls around. That de- that derailed uh, everybody wants some for me because <laughs> everybody wants some was almost perfect, but yeah. Swiss Army Man was more than perfect times two. <laughs> it's awesome. I gotta see it. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Mm. Jenna, so, close us out. All right, my number because I'm like a musical theater fag, and <laughs> so my special mentions. I think that's the first time that word has been uttered on this show. <laughs> She's allowed to say it. She's the gayest man I've ever met. I'm good. Um, so my special mentions were Hedwig and the Angry Inch and Spinal Tap. Whoa. Spinal Tap was an honorable uh, mention for me as well. That movie? And Spinal Tap because Spinal Tap was the toughest cut. <sighs> the way that I thought so about this right list as well was like how these movies would not exist without this music uh-huh. sort of like thing. And yeah. so I had to put a musical on my list because I asked Dan this morning, can I choose musicals? And he was like, duh. Yeah. And so my number one is West Side Story. Oh, oh amazing. I think that that film is actually perfect. <laughs> I do and really I think love that, that movie. the music is extremely evocative, not only of the time that the movie was made. Mm-hmm. Is it evocative also, of anything? Or evocative. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> Fuck. Um, anyway, <laughs> words are hard and there's like a million beers. You know I'm going to make you do your Natalie Wood impression. <sighs> I don't have one. Yes, you do. You quote it all the time. <laughs> okay. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that the music in that is brilliant and it cannot exist in any ne- other never has, pe- has people stabbing each other <laughs> seemed so musical so good <laughs> except and for the guest yeah. <laughs> Natalie Wood is not actually singing in it but she's like still good and then she fell off a boat <laughs> <laughs> but like everything in that movie is just really perfect and well, I, I think that it's just really great and also like without the actual songs, the music in and of itself is just really beautiful and perfect. <laughs> I oh, think that's fun. one of the most memorable musical musicals. Also, as far everybody as m- watches in high yeah. school. Like, yeah. you know it. Yeah. You know it. I know it. We love it. <laughs> What's I was going to say? That's one of the few ones I think you could see once and come out and, and 20 years later be like, Officer Krupke, you really yeah. MS. You know, yeah. like you will just know yep. the songs. They just yep. really <laughs> stick with you. It's just our bringing up Keith that gets us out <laughs> of hand. My well, you're you're only gonna agree with half of this <laughs> statement, but I, I'm gonna say it anyway. West Side Story works for me in the same way that that a Chicago works for me. In that, <laughs> in that, but I think you'll agree with what I'm saying about West Side yeah. Story is that that is a movie that is a stage play turned into a movie, but the movie actually justifies the conversion into yeah. film. Oh my god, the movie is without betraying than the stage play. without betraying the aesthetics of the stage. It's I agree. better. You know, it's and I think actually that better. I've never seen either that or Chicago on stage, but both of those to me, when I watch them, I go, I would love to see this show, but it's not just a filming of the show. This earns its right to be a movie yeah. to me. And West Side Story does West Side do Story that. is better as a movie than it is a stage show. Chicago's better as a stage show than it is as a movie. Now do the Natalie Wood voice. How many bullets, Chino? <laughs> Enough for you. Enough for me. <laughs> That's my name. I love it. <laughs> Big applause. I'm so glad we got that out of you. That is wonderful. Very nice. Enough Very nice. So I got to say, doing mine, it. Uh, growing up, I bought a lot of soundtracks, yeah. but I think in the end, I think I prefer a score. That's where I'm at, too. And the reason, and, and I was thinking about this at work today, is that a soundtrack to me is like buying a greatest hits album. Mm-hmm. It does it. It, it works. It's yep. awesome. 
You know, it, it's I love the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack, but it's a greatest hits album. It's the best of the seventies. Yep. It's Cape Billy's yep. hits of the seventies with his monster <laughs> truck, the Behemoth. <laughs> yeah. But uh, a score to me is is an experimental album. Yeah, I love ELO's ELO's greatest hits, but I believe it's their second album is. You're flying through space. I mean, but I'm going to they did write all of the music for Xanadu specifically for the movie. There you go. go. Precisely. (laughs) But I just, I I prefer a score over a soundtrack because, you know, there's a soundtrack (laughs) where I go, oh, I like that because it has a lot of good songs on it. Yeah. But Swiss Army Man, I'm never going to put on a song. I'm going to press play from the beginning to the end, and I'm going to feel it out like I'm watching the movie yep. again. I I got to prefer that. That's that's where I'm into. Like so, John Carpenter did not end up making my list. Uh, although Halloween like, was close, I thought about Halloween. That's more a riff than a score. I know really that's about why, I love that's it, why I thought about like Assault on Precinct 13, where yeah. I like I actually really like that score. Like mm. the whole thing, I think, that is like really score. it's great. Uh, I you know so there were I just I the more and more I thought about it, it was like yeah okay. Not all these things are going to make my list necessarily. And when you're asking me to make a top five, like it or not, uh, soundtracks are what might actually land on the top five because of that like greatest hits nature. You know what I mean? But the reality is when I'm thinking about movies and what I like about movies and what I think is like when you think about the marriage of music and movies, yeah. I much prefer an original score that sort of like when I when I hear it later, it's like you, you know like uh, here's a good recent example, uh, um, under the skin. Uh, it, when that I, almost made my list. I love that score, yep. and and I can't separate any single image of that movie from the notes in that score. You know what I mean? It's like it's so tied into it. I don't know. There's something about it that just I think is is uh, um, so unique, right? Like there. Here's the thing: the the soundtracks would exist whether the movies existed or not. Mm-hmm. The scores would not. Yeah, the exactly. scores are only there because the movie is there, and they are made because of the movie. John Williams. And you can subtract the score, you get less of a movie. Yes, you can subtract the movie, and the score means nothing. But it becomes you subtract the movie, and I don't think the score even exists. John yes. Williams does not write the Jaws theme if there's not a Jaws to write it for. I did have Raiders on here as a as a uh, potential list, yes. as well as Back to the Future. But yes, I realized that those I only picked up riffs. Um, and then Oh Brother Where Art There was a was oh, a, uh, a another uh, honorable a mention. I actually got rid of Spinal Tap and Saturday Night Fever because I knew Saturday Night Fever would be on yours, <laughs> and I figured Spinal Tap <laughs> might, so I got rid of them. American, but I also had, like Lewin Davis was on there. Oh yeah, that's uh, a great uh, one. Inside, Halloween was on there, all that stuff. Inside Lewin Davis and American Beauty were the two that I had to. Ooh, American Beauty is a good call. Drop off yeah. of my list, but because American Beauty, like that boop. Yep. Oh, that became the score for everything. Yes. But yeah, that's it's in why every trailer. I, it yeah. I was like, oh, they took it in the same way that Requiem for a Dream. Yes. And Dan and I were talking about this earlier. But um, oh, that fucking Requiem song is in every goddamn th- thing. Yeah, that Luke Saterno. Yeah. It's no longer it's called, like, just, just that movie. Just, no. Yeah, like it's not defined by that movie. And so I had to think about: Can this movie exist without this soundtrack? Uh-huh. And I think all of the ones that I picked. No, I would agree. Can't. Yeah. Like they have to have those songs or mm-hmm. that but i also lean on the way of soundtrack because i oh, think yeah. that it supports but i also think that we put i feel like so much on lyrics and maybe me as like a singing actor or like an actor that sings or whatever i'm like oh yeah of course i'm gonna attach myself to all of these lyrics yeah. and these songs that i already know because that evokes Evox. Evox. <laughs> God damn it. Now everybody's going to think I'm stupid. No, <laughs> no. Uh, an emotion from like me yeah. because I know how it's how it sounds and how they're singing it. And it just applies to that movie. But scores are in 
important <laughs> because it's new. I've bought more soundtracks than but scores. But I've bought way more yeah. soundtracks. But scores are more essential to me. But think about like Almost Famous too. Oh, yeah. It's Almost, almost Famous too. <laughs> more famous. Almost Famous as well. <laughs> back on tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Stillwater's back. Um, almost Famous. New, new drummer. Yeah. New drummer. The other one um, uh, uh, choked on vomit. Not, not quite famous. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's entirely a soundtrack, but people are really interested in that yeah. and that became you know they won an academy award and that became yep. the number one selling soundtrack of mm-hmm. five years six mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. ten years something like that and i don't know i just think that that's easier to grasp onto right on nothing wrong with that no. whatever i love <laughs> it jenna what do you got coming up you got anything you want people to know about i know you, i know you have a uh, a show coming up that you were <laughs> so excited to be a part of coming soon um which one <laughs> yeah i'm doing a, a possession piece so those of you who like movies possession movies we're doing the second in our dead teenager trilogy in this year's Philly Fringe Festival, Ooh. and it's called Birdie's Pit Stop and the Tribe of Be- Queers That Fucked Everything Up. <laughs> and I'm playing a, a potentially homeless person. And then, <laughs> yeah, so that's... Where's that? Uh, it's at the pharmacy at 18th and Wharton. Okay. In when? South Philadelphia. It's September 4th to the 16th. Love it. And it is at like 11 o'clock, a.k.a. midnight. Uh-huh. <laughs> and also I'm doing a show possibly titled Let's Fuck Around with Hamlet. Also <laughs> in the Philadelphia Fringe Festival. But it might be something else. We're unclear. But it's at the PowerPoint, Power Plant Basement at 3rd and Arch. When's that? Philly Fringe time. Unclear Philly Fringe time. Got unclear it. of times. I will Got say it. this. That uh, Birdie's Pit Stop. I saw last year's show. The yes. first part of the Dead Spook Teenagers Fish. Trilogy. Spookfish. Oh. And it is really cool. The guy who wrote it, uh, Hagen Bryce Walker, Hangus Brang Jangus, Hangus Brang Jangus. He uh, he That's definitely brilliant. has got his finger on the pulse of of horror. Yeah. And so that was like a really, uh, uh, you know, it was a really like your nexty kind of deconstruction of cool. slashers. A l- little more. It was scream. Uh, yeah, it was like a little more like trying to be parody as mm-hmm. opposed to being homage. But it was cool. I mean fucking dude got his dick ripped off so it was uh, I spiked it <laughs> you, she spiked a you dick spiked into the ground dick. yeah you spiked a it dick it was cool and it was one of those <laughs> she spiked things. a dick I splash zone it was it was uncomfortable to watch from from my perspective but uh, <laughs> it was cool and it, there was like a splash zone and all that stuff yeah. so like cuz you don't want to get hit by those dicks our audience is totally going to dig birdie's pissed up i think you should check it out yeah i, would, I that would be cool uh, I don't know whether this is like a good thing for you to hear or not, but I've definitely heard more about Spookfish than I have about most of the things you've been in. That was like, <laughs> so I've, I can totally recommend just on word of mouth the uh, the Dead Teenager trilogy. Absolutely. Where can we find you online? Uh, JennaKersey.com. Yes. Got the dot com yeah. right on. I have a and Kersey, spell now. it for people. K U E R Z I. And it's Jenna with two N's, not Janae or, <laughs> or Jen. Not as Gina. in Malone, but no. as in, yes. Or Gina. I was in the Comcast Center the other day and I knew I was Gina. in a predominantly not white community because they were like, uh, they Gina. They call you Janana. Well, they went, Gina. Nah, that's not right. Janae. <laughs> and I just went up to the service desk and I went, yes, can I please have my cable box? <laughs> like, sorry, we're Comcast, so no. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You cannot. Like, no. Sorry. Sorry, Charlie. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. sorry. 
Well, you can find the show at I Like To Movie on Twitter. You can check out the burgeoning website at I Like To Movie.tumblr.com. And of course, you can find everything you need at Facebook.com slash I Like To Movie. We are looking forward to hearing from you. Yes, tell us We're going to be doing some more prizes coming out soon. We're working on some t shirts and probably some future live events. So make sure you guys stay tuned, subscribe to everything, leave us a review on iTunes that we can. Get onto that front page. Get yeah. more listeners. But even if you have nothing to uh, to offer us, just reach out. Say hi. Tell us who you are, where you're from, what you want to hear. We want to engage with you. And if you don't have anything to say at all, why not send us one of your lists or an idea for a list that we can do on the show? That's right. So, uh, yeah, send us your favorite scores, your favorite songs, your favorite whatever. We will be reading them on the air. And I'll That's tell you that. this. If you're one of the people that listened to our episode on Black Mass in the last month, I didn't tell you this. We got a huge boost in numbers on the episode for Black Mass this month. I think I know why. Did it come out on DVD? It's on HBO right now. Oh. I watched the second half of that the yeah. other day because it was just on TV. Yeah. And I got to say, in hindsight, it was even better than I remember. Pretty good? I remember really enjoying yeah. it, but just watching it in pieces. Yeah. A lot of movies do like yeah. when you're not... Uh, burdened with watching the whole thing watching it in pieces i was like this is a neat movie yeah yeah and it's also got i don't know if you remember but the cop from stranger things i is know the main character and I so that know. really you know did that yes so yes make sure you guys check us out subscribe to everything we want to hear feedback we don't care what it is we just want to hear your voice where you're from yes tell us what you want we want to give it to you yes you can exactly. find me on twitter at dan scully you can log on to cinadelphia.com for the reviews that i do for them and, uh, yeah, I think that's everything for me. What do you got? You can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. That's with an F, uh, where occasionally I tweet a funny thing or two. Uh, and you can find me on letterboxd.com slash Philadelphia. I'm on Letterboxd, too. Same yeah. deal. Yeah. Oh, I do that, too. Yeah, Jenna does. Fil- yes, I love it. Uh, Jenna does Letterboxd. Uh, the three of us love to Letterbox. Uh, Garrett's the only one that likes my stuff. I love liking Jenna's stuff. Jenna writes I don't like anybody's stuff. Reviews. And then I go through a burst where I'm like, I, I haven't been supporting it. I oh, like everything. I, guess I love that. As every once in a while, I'll be like, I'll tell Dan about about like, oh, I read your review about this. I read your review about this. I'd be like, yeah, I know. I read your reviews too. I didn't like them. And then like a week, <laughs> and, though, but I then a week them. later, I no, 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 I know. But then I a love week, them. I know. <laughs> I but then a week later, it'll just be a like spree from Dan on like every review See, I wrote the last like two weeks. He just tells me what I was wrong about, <laughs> which is garbage. Oh, yeah. That wasn't garbage. You said Todd Bridges wrote super bad. That's just wrong. I don't know shit. <laughs> then don't write it. No, <laughs> but it, but the, here's the thing: is I was like totally on board with what you said about super bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, so find me on uh, on Letterboxd. I review every movie I watch there, uh, including my huge, huge, huge current rewatch of the entire Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> series, which then I realized means I have to watch Freddy versus Jason. So I now have oh, to go back good. and watch all of the Friday, the, all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, so that I can watch. Fr- I'm not doing like a whole big. Oh, yeah, this, it's, it's really all, like you're, you're doing the greatest. It's the thing. most fun I've yeah. ever had, guys. Jason X, amazing. <laughs> Your review is great on that because like. That was one that I was always just like, oh, I love this movie, but whatever. And then I realized, oh, wait, this movie might even be smart. Oh, it's <laughs> incredible. It is incredible. I, I don't wild. even want to get into it. It's great. That's my recommendation. Watch Jason X. <laughs> yeah, do it up. Oh, yeah. If we're going to do any sort of a, uh, oh, fuck, recommendations, shit. You want you want to throw out a shitty one like I did? Jason X is a terrible movie, but it is amazing. Xanadu. You have the best time. <laughs> That's a great oh, perfect suggestion. Please watch Xanadu. I would recommend it's watching uh, stupid. Xanadu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 this is a weird movie. It's the John Carpenter movie everyone forgot oh, about. Yeah. It's not good. Right. It might not even be worth watching, but you got to see it. I I need to see this. It's Memoirs one of, the last... of an Invisible Man, yeah. Chevy Chase oh, and Sam Neill. It's so bad. It's not good. And it's it's like first, one of the last ones I haven't seen the by him. The first act is like 
you're like people might have missed this. This is kind of cool. Yeah. And then it just it's just a like a like bland uh. blanderosa. It is just <laughs> bland. Does it feel like is the only Amarosa? movie of his that it's like ponderosa, but all bland? I don't know. It's just throwing beer words together. Does it feel like a studio got like? Does it feel like it was taken away from Carpenter, or it like he had like a weird was, idea he couldn't figure out? I think out. it was never a good idea because yeah. it's based on a book. Right. I feel like it was never a good idea, and once they just finished all of the neat things we can do on film yeah. with invisibility, they were like, "Oh shit, we've got to finish a movie." <laughs> all right. All right, what can you do, Chevy Chase? And he was like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> like, all right, well, okay, yeah. So, can yeah. we hire Joel McHale? But what's weird is you, you, you kind of gotta watch it. I, I don't know. It, yeah, it's one like put it on while you're folding laundry or some yeah, shit. Yeah. It'll be all right. Oh, I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, <laughs> it's very weird. Uh, all right, Fair fair enough. Right. Let's close this thing out. Let's, let's do, do it. Let's, let's do, do the it. old Kick sign off. off. You do it. You do it. My name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. I'm also here. <laughs> Perfect. And we, we all know that you, you like to movie movie because we like to movie. movie. <laughs>